Major phone carriers make you sign contracts with rigid data plans to trap you into a kind of forced phonogamy. Sounds pretty insecure, if you ask me. At Consumer Cellular, we believe in a more consensual and healthy form of phonogamy, free of contracts and more flexible to your data needs. This way, you stick around not because we force you to with contracts and fees, but because you love our phone plans. Like ardently love our phone plans. Phonogamously. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Hey, everybody. Yep, this is J-Man checking in to say what's up and happy Halloween. Oh, and also to give you all a shout out and a thank you for all of the birthday wishes. I appreciate every single one of you. That was so sweet and cool, man. (laughs) I tell you, I love Monster Fest and like you guys have made uh, my birthday very, very special uh, once again. So I am just so touched. You know what I mean? Uh, Speaking of which, to celebrate the Halloween festivities today, I put together and compiled a three-hour story time contemplation for you all. So that's pretty much the nightmare tales from multiple different seasons of the J-Man show. And it's well over three hours, so enjoy yourself to your heart's content, okay? But don't you worry, we still have new stuff coming this week. I just wanted to go ahead and, you know, add a little bit of spice to your celebrations. But you all take care of yourselves, and we will catch up soon, okay? This is J-Man signing off. Peace. You have all been waiting patiently, and I hear you now. For it is time to begin again. Welcome to the J-Man Show, here on... K360 Radio. How's it going, J360 Legion? How are you all doing today? Welcome to the J-Man Show. Monster Fest. I'm your host, J-Man, of course. And, uh, yes, I know you're not afraid of anything, right? I mean, we're still knee-deep in the Monster Fest. The Monster Fest storm hasn't left us behind yet. I mean, it has been kind of quiet since I watched the movies. I guess because of the sound system. But, you know, it is what it is. And let me tell you this, right? What is it, the new schedule? Yes, I know that things are usually on Wednesdays, but we're doing Thursdays because I really need to extend that maintenance for the website. And believe it or not, it's taking shape and form. I managed to get all the jams episodes on there, managed to get all the mini bites on there, and I'm still working with the J-Man show apparently because the first season said, you know what, F you pal, we're not going on there yet. But you know what, whatever. <laughs> It'll be all done before you know it. And speaking of which... We're going to do things a little differently for this episode. You know, usually we'll talk about the movies that went on to the Monster Fest, and we'll talk about some haunted areas. But I figure, you know, it's time that we did something a little different on the show, such as gave you some scary stories to listen to. 
And you see, I've been reading uh, quite a bit of books in addition to watching some of the movies around here. And I can take a few excerpts from said books to go ahead and throw them your way. Especially if the story's short or long. And not only that, I hope it doesn't... Eh, what the hell, you're grown, right? There's no little children out there whose parents are going to be like, J-Man, you scared my children! And it's like, no, I didn't. You're a bad parent. Okay, okay, okay. Before we get knee-deep into that craziness, um, one way or another, I just want to say this. I am not responsible for if they stay up late at night or if they ask for another helping of, you know, ice cream sandwiches or whatever. One way or another, I'm not liable. Clearly, because at the end of the day, I'm quite insane. You've seen my uh, record, haven't you? Okay, now, let's go ahead and get you guys started with a few things here. These are some excerpts from a book called Urban Legends Bizarre Tales You Won't Believe, written by James Proud. I'll go ahead and I'll throw a link to every book that you can go ahead and get your fix on, you know, believe it or not. So we'll go ahead and we'll listen to this one. This one's called The Man with Two Faces. A disturbing video once made the rounds on the internet. In the clip, doctors are treating a hideously deformed man who has what appears to be a second face on the back of his head, complete with a mouth which opens in tandem with the other, tongue, teeth, and other crude facial features. It was said that the man was Chang Shou Ping, who lived as a hermit in a remote Chinese village. Too terrified to show his face to the world, the local children would jeer and throw rocks when he left his house. In the 1970s, he was discovered by a troop of American soldiers who rescued him from his tormentors and took him back to the States, where his second face was removed in a 12-hour operation as part of a diplomatic deal. It is speculated that his case may have been an example of fetus and fetal, an extremely rare condition occurring in multiple pregnancies when one embryo becomes stuck inside of the other and grows inside of its twin. Have you guys ever heard of that scenario? I mean, think about it, right? You could just be growing and minding your own business, but it turns out that you were actually in somebody else's space, and they're slowly but surely either growing in your head or in your spine or, God forbid, your ass. That's pretty damn disgusting, if you will. And one way or another, for those of you walking around, your face is not a vertical smile back there, but it turns out to be the face of your sibling as you're... Never mind, never mind. I'm trying not to be too nasty, but you know, even when I'm clean, I'm filthy. Now, for those of you out there that love um, jazz hits or, you know, funk music, well, here's something that's um, probably interesting to you. This one is called Love Roller Coaster. Now, some of y'all remember that song by the Ohio Players, right? It goes, Roller Coaster, I love. Oh, I say what? Roller Coaster, ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, you, look, I'm not much of a singer, so work with me. But, get this, okay? According to the book, in 1975, the Ohio Players released Love Roller Coaster, a funk track that would later be covered by the Real High Chili Peppers. If you listen closely to the end of the first verse, you'll hear a strange high-pitched noise in the background that doesn't fit with the rest of the music. It sounds eerily like the blood-curdling scream of a terrified woman. Fans speculated for years over what was behind the noise, and many thinks it's the sound of a genuine murder. Some say a terrible crime occurred in the studio when the band were recording the song, whereas others claim that it was inserted by a sound engineer at a later stage as a sick joke. Another version of events is inspired by the album cover, 
which features erotic images of a woman covered in what appears to be honey, but is actually hot wax or plastic. Many suspect that the cry was in fact the model screaming in pain as the substance was removed. The band would not comment on the noise when journalists brought up the subject. Yo. That's pretty weird. Matter of fact, let me take a look at the... Yeah, the album cover is interesting, huh? Yeah, you know, um... Hmm. I really don't know. That's that's actually pretty interesting that that went down like that. I'm sure, like, a lot of things go on in different studios. Like, most of the time I'm hanging around in my own studio, so I really don't know. So the most that would probably be infected would be, like you know, or do anything crazy would be my, me and my teammates, but uh, we haven't done anything that severe yet, so I don't know. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, there's lots of songs that have, like, different stings or whatnot. And I know, like, for a long time, people keep thinking that the real Paul McCartney we see is not necessarily a real Paul McCartney. It's, like, some fake that they found, whereas the real Paul McCartney was, like, killed off in some sort of accident. And there's been many whispers and words about it because if you listen to some Beatles songs backwards, they have, like, hidden messages in them. So, I don't know. There's a lot lot of crazy stuff to that. It makes you wonder. Okay, well, here we go. Let's get into the mood for it. Now, this story is called Where's My Liver? Bobby had been told by his mother to go to the shops and pick up a packet of fresh liver from the butcher's. His grandfather was coming for dinner, and liver and onions was his favorite dish. Bobby hated liver, and he hated going to the butchers, but he did as he was told and set off to the shops. He's a good boy. On the way, he met a friend who invited him to play a new computer game at his house with some other mates. Bobby wanted to explain that he was running an errand for his mother, but he was too embarrassed, so he accepted. After all, it wouldn't take long. And when he checked the time, he realized that it was dark and all the shops would probably shut. He shot out of the house and ran down the road to the butcher's, which was indeed closed. He was wondering what he would say to his mother when he saw an old man rummaging around in the bins to the rear of the shop. And he looked like a tramp, with greasy gray hair plastered over his dirty skin. Next to him was a supermarket trolley filled with filthy bags. The man saw him, and though Bobby wanted to run away, he was curious, so he asked the man what he was looking for. I've been getting myself some meat. He told the boy, evidently pleased with himself. They throw out perfectly good stuff here every day, he added, pointing at the bins. Bobby saw he had filled his trolley with lumps of meat wrapped in paper, and on top of it was a fat calf's liver. Before the old man could react, he grabbed it and ran home as fast as he could. All the way down the street, Bobby could hear the trolley squeaking after him, but there was no way an old man like that could keep up with a young boy. Or so he thought. The liver went down a treat, and Bobby's grandfather said it was the best he has eaten for as long as he could remember. The boy was allowed to stay up late that night as a reward, and he played computer games downstairs until the small hours, pleased with his actions. As he was walking upstairs to his bed, he heard a noise outside the front door. So he looked out of the window, but there was nothing there. Then came a squeaking sound, unmistakably the noise of an old supermarket trolley. Still, he could see nothing. But the noise grew louder, and when the trolley came into view, Bobby ran upstairs in terror and hid under the blankets. He dared to look out of the window to see if the old man was there, and eventually he fell asleep. He was woken later by a knock on his bedroom door, followed by silence. A voice hissed, Where's my liver? 
Then again, louder. Where's my liver, boy? Bobby was frozen to the spot, and although he tried to scream, no noise came out. The door handle turned, and the old man from the butcher stood in the doorway, smiling in the darkness, and he was flashing a meat cleaver. Where's my liver? <laughs> you okay? You should be. Alright, this one is called The Bridge. You know, there's always something with a bridge in there. Alright, well, let's see what it's all about. There's a bridge in Wales where thrill-seeking teenagers go on Halloween. It's a pretty little humpback stone bridge spanning a rocky river that flows down from the mountains, but it has a sinister past. Many years ago, there was a young woman, an only child, who lived in a manor house up the valley. She was smart and headstrong and refused to marry the men that her father found for her, so he kept her locked away, waiting for her to agree to do his bidding. One day, a relative visited in a brand new motor car, a rare machine at the time in that part of the country. Her father had let his daughter out of her room for the occasion, so she took one opportunity to escape. When her father wasn't looking, the girl leapt into the driver's seat and sped off down the valley. She flew down the hill towards the river, enjoying a blissful minute of freedom, before she realized that she didn't know how to stop the vehicle, and she plunged straight off the bridge onto the rocks below. Now, many years later, it's said that she haunts the bridge. If you flash your headlights as you're driving over it, your car will stall. If you're lucky, it will start again in a few moments and you can be on your way. But if you're not, you will hear the little girl knocking on the window. If you don't open a door to let the girl in, you will die in a car accident within a week. The girl never managed to escape over the bridge. And she won't let you escape either. Alright, here you go. Don't play the lottery. The police department of a small town in Australia put out an online message warning residents about an unknown man who was suspected of killing one homeowner, seriously wounding another, and trespassing on several other people's property. He was dubbed the lottery killer because of his particular method of approaching his targets and murdering them. The first thing the victim would notice was a figure with his face obscured, standing somewhere where he could clearly be seen late at night. He would pick houses with glass doors or large windows overlooking the street which he would stand in front of, silhouetted against the streetlights and waiting to be noticed by the occupants, sometimes for several hours. Then he would knock 13 times at the door and wait for a response. If spoken to, he wouldn't respond. But if the door was open, he would attack viciously and indiscriminately with a large knife, murdering people in their own home. A bloody lottery ticket was left on the bodies. Y'all still good? Okay. This one is called Behind the Mask. A child in Japan was walking home from school one evening. The friends who usually walk with her had already gone home, but she was only one street away from her house. She saw a young woman walking towards her wearing a surgical mask like those that many Japanese people use to protect themselves from smog and disease. Kind of like how we have to wear a mask now. She stopped in front of the child and leaned down towards her. The child was not worried as she seemed friendly enough. Where are you going? The woman asked. I'm going home from school. My house is just down the road there. Do you think I'm beautiful? Came the unexpected question. The girl politely, if concerned, said yes. Then the woman, as she removed the mask, How about now? And revealed a horrifying wound that slashed her mouth from ear to ear. 
She bent down to the frightened girl and asked again through her mutilated lips, How about now? The girl was horrified by her appearance, but she had been brought up to be always polite, so she told her that she still looked beautiful, and then the terrifying figure disappeared. The next day at school, the girl told her friends what she had seen, and they immediately recognized the story. They told her that the woman had appeared to so many girls over the year, but not all of them had been so lucky. If she hadn't said the right thing, the woman would have cut the same terrible smile into the girl's own face with a pair of scissors and condemned her to roam the streets in a mask. The shot girl did not walk home alone again for a very long time. Alright, and you know, some of y'all probably would know this one. This one's kind of a classic. But you know, it just wouldn't be the Monster Fest if we didn't admit it. Now, some of y'all might know this one. So I won't say the title of it. But we're going to go ahead and get into it. Student halls of residence are strange places. You never know who or what you might find in your room. You don't really know the people you're suddenly living with, but everyone wants to make friends. They're always inviting themselves around, and there's no real privacy. One Friday night at a university in England, first-year student Jenny was getting excited about a freshers' event that was taking place that evening. She was trying to persuade Emily, her new roommate, to come along, but the latter didn't feel like partying, so eventually Jenny left her there and went to the party alone. Later that evening, she came back to her room to get something, leaving the light off as to not wake Emily before returning to the event. When Jenny awoke the late the next morning, she didn't remember much about getting home. But as she rolled out of bed, she saw that Emily was still in bed. That wasn't like her at all. But then she saw blood on the sheets. Emily was dead. Her throat cut. And above her on the wall, scrawled in blood, were the words, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? <laughs> you were browsing on your computer one evening. You're supposed to be working on a project, but instead you're trawling through social media posts. Suddenly a pop-up window appears with a cryptic question, Do you like? You assume it's an advert and close the window. You try to get back to what you were doing, but the same question keeps popping it up. Then you hear a child's voice saying, Do you like? Thinking it must be some kind of computer virus, and as the voice becomes more and more insistent and aggressive, you try to ignore it. Then the screen turns red and the same pop-up window asks you again, Then you remember you heard of this happening to other people, and the memory makes your blood run cold. A list of names appear on the screen, a list of victims, all of whom were found in a room painted red with their own blood. You're scared, but you can't help but click through it. The last name is yours, and you hear a noise behind you. Damn, that was weird. Oh, man. Okay. Let's go on ahead and take a look at another book, though, because, you know, I don't want to go too crazy with just one book. I got a lot of these things to throw at you. So, well, actually, no, 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 no. Let's go ahead and give you guys one more from this, and then there's another book I got to share with you. This one's called Date Night. One summer evening, a teenage girl who lived in a remote English village was picked up by a boy for their second date. They were driving through the countryside when he mentioned that they were running out of petrol and therefore might not make it home. She thought he was joking, but she didn't find it particularly funny, especially when the car sputtered to a halt under an old oak tree. They really had run out of fuel. They both glanced at their mobile phones, but neither could get a signal in such an isolated spot. Fancy how that always happens. Meanwhile, maybe we just have to stay here till morning, he suggested. This did not go down well with his date. So he told her to stay in the car, lock the door while he went go looking for help. The village was only a few miles back, 
and there was an old-fashioned phone box there if his phone still didn't work. The girl was understandably angry at her useless date for managing to run out of fuel and leaving her stranded in the middle of nowhere, but she settled down to wait on his return. And But it was too quiet for her liking, with the only sound being the wind, so she turned on the radio to keep her company. A news bulletin was being read out, but the subscription... But the reception was so terrible that she put on a CD instead. People still use those. An hour passed, and then two. And then she started to get worried, wondering if he abandoned her. Maybe he had been hit by a car on the dark country roads. She had heard of such accidents happening before. Then the car battery died and the music stopped. And she cursed and slammed the dashboard. Suddenly she heard a thump, followed by scratching or tapping on the roof of the car. She told herself that it was probably a tree branch. It was a windy night. But it was a loud noise, so she kept still and didn't make any sounds. The noise continued, and her imagination began to play tricks on her. Was someone out there? Her fear continued to grow, but she didn't dare open the door to the escape. Just when she couldn't bear it any longer, flashing blue lights lit up the car, and she breathed a sigh of relief, thinking her date must have come back with some help. The car stopped, and the policeman walked slowly towards her, but there was no sign of the boy. The police officer shined his torch through the window and beckoned her out of the car. You're safe. But keep your eyes down and don't look back at the car. Confused, the girl asked if the policeman had seen her date. There's time for that later, came the reply. She opened the police car door but could not resist a quick look back. What she saw made her freeze in terror. Her date, the boy, was hanging upside down from the oak tree, lit by the flashing lights and swaying in the wind. His bloodied head was knocking on the car and his fingertips scraping the roof. What? Didn't you hear the radio? asked the policeman. A murderer just escaped from the mental hospital in town. <laughs> Chilly. Yeah, that one got a little bit of chills to that, but let me just be honest with you, though. They say that the most scariest story in existence is called Cowhead. And the thing about Cowhead is you really don't get the full original story of that because it's usually if somebody heard about it and then told about it, and then chances are they would go ahead and fill in something differently every time. Which, you know, as most of these stories are, like, they change overall. Like, it's usually the same premise and the same build-up that goes on. But, nine times out of ten, Cowhead is still at the top of the game. But, however, I'm not reading Cowhead because I like to live. And, truth be told, I still have more of these episodes to make for you all. So, we're not reading Cowhead. Not this year, anyway. Now, that's it for this book. Now, if you want to read some more stories like this, I suggest that you check it out and put it in your Amazon cart and go ahead and invest in it. It's called Urban Legends Bizarre Tales You Won't Believe. Made by James Pratt. You will love this. I have not put it down yet. But I will right now because i got to go ahead and bring up some of the other things that I found. Now, this one is kind of like scary stories to tell in the dark. Now, these next excerpts I'm going to read to you are actually from... Scary Stories to Tell If You Dare, which was inspired by Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. These were written by and collected by Joe Olivito. And, you know, I went on his blog not too long ago. He has a blog on Medium. And he seems to be a pretty cool guy. So if any of you want to get to know some of these authors and stuff, I'll happily go ahead and send them your way. And then you can go ahead and check them out from time to time, you know. But I will tell you this much. Some of these stories here, folklore-based at best, are just, mmm, they good. <laughs> they make you think sometime, right? Now, this one I'm going to go ahead and tell you about. I don't know why people think breaking and entering is a very beautiful thing, but you know what? Well, I guess for some people, if it's taking on the rich, but then again, I've already said too much. But let's go on ahead and read this one. 
This one is called The Dare. Kevin and Tony were friends. There was an old mansion on their street that no one lived in anymore. Everyone said it was haunted. Some of the older kids even said that they seen the ghost of an old woman sitting in a rocking chair by the attic window once. One day, Kevin dared Tony to break into it. Tony didn't want to. His parents had told him not to go near that house, but he knew Kevin would make fun of him if he didn't. Eh, go up to the attic when you get inside, Kevin said. Don't just wait by the front door. Okay, Tony said. I'd take a picture up there to prove it. Tony said he would. It was easy to break into the house. The front door was unlocked. Kevin stood behind and watched Tony go inside. Fifteen minutes passed, then a half hour, then an hour. Kevin walked up to the house and shouted for Tony, but he didn't get an answer. He was too afraid to go inside and check for Tony. Instead, he went home and told his parents what happened. They called the police. An officer searched the old house and found Tony in the attic. He was dead. The doctor couldn't figure out how he died. The only clue they had was a picture Tony took in the attic. There was an old woman in the picture sitting in a rocking chair by the window. Ooh, man. Y'all still good? <laughs> man, I'm telling you, if there's anything like that sequence from Tales from the Hood, I know something. But hey, here we go. The Black Dog. John Brent lived with his family in a big house near town. One night, he couldn't sleep. So he went over to the window to look out at the yard. And as he looked outside, he spotted something looking at him. He squinted to see what it was. In the yard was a big black dog. John had never seen it before. It didn't move or make a sound. It just sat in the yard looking up at him. John stared at the dog for a few minutes. He was a grown man, but for some reason this dog scared him. Usually he would have gone outside and chased it away, but something was different tonight. After some time, he went back to bed. When he woke up, the dog was gone. John became very sick soon after that. His family spent a lot of money for him to see the best doctors around, but he kept getting worse. During this time, he saw the dog in all sorts of places. Sometimes it was sitting by the side of the road when he drove to see one of his doctors. Other times it would follow John as he walked to town. No one ever saw it until the night John died. His family stood around his hospital bed when they noticed a look of terror on his face, and they turned to see what he was looking at. It was the big black dog. No one could figure out how it got all the way up to the hospital room. They chased after it, but the dog ran away. They looked down at the halls, but no one could find it. Soon they decided to go back to John's room. When they got there, he was dead. A lot of people like the concept of love. A lot of people are in love with the idea of being in love. And then there are people that actually cross the line and really do have it. Love is a very powerful emotion. And then you see there are times where it can be misused and construed in all sorts of other ways. Now, as I go ahead and I tell you that PSA, the next story we have is called The New Wife. Be mindful of how you use love. Here we go. Once there was a man who fell in love with a pretty young girl who moved into town. He wanted to marry her, but he couldn't. He already had a wife of his own. The man couldn't forget about the pretty girl, though. They would go on long walks together when his wife thought he was staying late at work. He decided he would poison his wife. With her dead, he could marry his new love. The man cooked a big dinner one night. He pretended it was a special gift for his wife. She didn't know he had poisoned her drink. Soon after taking a sip, she began to choke. The man watched her, doing nothing to help. 
As she took her last breath, his wife looked at him with a face of pure anger. Just before she died, she realized what her husband had done. The man hid the body in the woods and told everyone his wife was missing. After a long time, everyone assumed she had died. He was free to marry his new bride. But everywhere the man went, he thought he saw his old wife. Sometimes he would spot her on a crowded street, staring at him with the same face she made when she died. Sometimes he looked in the mirror and see her standing behind him, and when he turned, no one was there. Every night he had nightmares about her. None of that worried him. He told himself he was just imagining things. Nothing was going to stop him from marrying the pretty young girl. The day of his wedding had arrived. His bride had chosen the most beautiful dress he'd ever seen. And when the wedding ceremony was complete, the man lifted his bride's veil to kiss her. The woman he saw, however, wasn't his pretty young wife. Instead, he saw the angry, tiresome face of his old wife. And in shock, he grabbed her by the throat and tried to strangle her. And before he could kill her once more, the people in the crowd pulled him away. They helped the bride to her feet. Suddenly, she didn't look like his old wife anymore. She was the pretty young girl again. But everyone seen the man try to kill her. He spent the rest of his life in prison. That's the thing, folks. I mean, if you're already hitched up, why would you want to go through it again? I mean, not without the proper courses, you know what I'm saying? There's always a way to handle this kind of stuff. Problem is, is that whether you go through it or not, and not in the wrong way. Alright, so next up we have Vanished. No, no, don't Vanish. I mean, that's the name of the story. Ben and his family lived in a big farmhouse out in the country. One cold morning, he woke up early to get some wood for the fire. After a few minutes passed, his mother called him in for breakfast. Ben didn't reply, though. His mother tried again. He still didn't reply. His mother and father were worried. They went outside to look for Ben, but they couldn't find him. They called his name again and again, but he never answered. And after a little while, they called the police to come help. Everyone wondered if Ben was kidnapped. For days, people all over helped look for him. They searched through the woods and all around the farm, hoping to find him, but no one found anything. Pretty soon, everyone but the police and Ben's parents gave up. But one night, about a week later, Ben's mother was trying to sleep when she heard Ben's voice cry out for her. Mom, he seemed to say, where are you? The voice was coming from somewhere outside. She rushed out to where she thought she heard it, but no one was there. Then she heard the voice again. Mom, it said, I can't find you. I'm right here, Ben, his mother said. I'm right here. But she still couldn't find him. She and her husband searched to find where the voice was coming from, but no matter how clear it sounded, they couldn't find Ben. And they looked for hours, but there was no sign of him. That happened every night for almost a month. Ben's mother and father would hear him calling for them. They would search the farm for hours, but they never found anything. And each night, Ben's voice sounded more and more distant. Then one day it stopped. No one knew what happened. And no one ever heard or saw Ben ever again. Now, have you all been wondering about, like, when it comes to treasures and the idea of actually getting gold and living on the... Um, high life you know never ever having to work a nine to five never ever having to do any of what you know the average do having to live and live well without a worry in the world but also finding 
you know, treasures that can get you there. The idea and the thrill of adventure. I live for it, believe it or not. And the thing is, this particular story kind of deals with that. It's called The Haunted Treasure. Everyone knew about the treasure. Years ago, a pirate buried it somewhere in the county. But no one knew the exact spot. One night, an old woman had a dream. In it, she saw that the treasure was buried, the roots of a big tree, in a nearby field. At first, she didn't think much of the dream. But that next night, she had the dream again. And the night after that, and each time there was more and more detail, she told her two grandsons about the dream. They said that they would go find the treasure. Then they'd all be rich. Be careful, the old woman said. You must be completely silent when you dig. The pirate killed one of his crew and buried him with the treasure so his ghost would guard it. If you say a single word, you'll wake him. The grandsons promised that they would be completely quiet. When they got to the tree, it was very dark out. They went late at night so no one would see what they were doing. Everyone in town wanted to find that treasure. They didn't want anyone else to know where it was. For an hour, one grandson dug a big hole between the roots of the tree while the other stood guard. Then they switched. The other grandson dug for about half an hour when his shovel hit something solid. He leaned in to take a closer look. It's the treasure chest, he said to his brother. We're rich! But his brother didn't look happy. His brother looked scared. When he turned back around, he saw why. Standing in front of him was a tall man with anger in his eyes. He wore old pirate clothes and had a scar across his neck, and he ran towards the two brothers, reaching to grab them. They both sprinted away, running through the field as fast as they could. When they got home, they told the old woman what had happened. They described the terrible man who chased them. You forgot my warning, she said. That was the ghost from my dream. The next morning, they headed back to the field. When they got there, the big hole they dug the night before was completely filled in, as if they had never been there. Somehow, word got out about their story, and people in town talked about it for years. A long time later, some other young men heard it one night from an uncle. They drove off to find the treasure. When morning came, people found their car parked in the field near the tree. But no one ever saw those young men again. Alright, so, let us go on ahead and end this on an uh, interesting note. So, this next story is called Milk Bottles. Many years ago, an old man ran a shop in town. One day, a pale young woman walked in. Can I help you? He asked. The woman didn't say anything, but she put in a bottle of milk. The old man sold it to her. She walked out without saying a word. The next day, she came to the shop again. When the shopkeeper asked her what she wanted that day, she pointed to a bottle of milk like the day before. Still didn't speak a word. The same thing happened the next day. Later that night, the old man told some of his friends in town about the strange young woman. So when she went to the shop again the next day, some of them followed her to see where she went after she left. They followed her through town, but she walked very fast and they couldn't keep up with her. But the men saw her walked up a hill into the graveyard. She stopped by a grave next to a tree. Then they lost sight of her. The men found the grave and it looked like where she stopped at. It belonged to a woman and her new baby who both gotten sick and died just a few days earlier. They wanted to know more about the woman, so they got a few other people from town and dug up the coffin. When they started to lift it, they thought they heard a crying sound coming from inside. The townspeople opened the coffin, and it was the body of the young woman, her baby in her arms. But the baby was still alive. It looked weak and small, but it was alive. And beside the baby and its mother were four empty milk bottles. Damn, you know, that's just as crazy as this one story I heard. 
where like you know this woman she was in an accident but she found like this other couple out there and she was leading them to come help because her husband was dead but the baby was in the back crying and you see the thing is when they went down there to help and save the baby of course the the woman was gone but then the guy looked over into the car again and saw next to the husband was the woman that led them to the event. The baby's still living, but the, the you, creepy man. You know, one day, I don't know, because the scenarios of these things tend to become stranger, you know, stranger than fiction, and then you wonder if they actually are fiction because I think that story actually happened, right? Didn't that story actually happen where like a couple was? You know, I like to think that at one time, a lot of this stuff might have been real. It, it, it's questionable, but that's what makes it interesting. And you see, the thing about folklore is, folklore shapes our culture. It shapes who we are. It lets us know about certain things. Now, I'm not willing to test to see how real this stuff is, but... Just the chill factor of it all, man. It's just like, ugh. Now, this comes from Scary Stories to Tell If You Dare... And it was made by, uh, of course, once again, Joe Olivito. And, you know, the thing is, we'll, we'll read about this, okay? This one is called On the Hunt. Every year, Barry and Conklin would go up to the mountains for a few days to hunt deer. One day, Conklin returned from the mountains without Barry. He told everyone Barry had gone missing. The police put together a search party, but the heavy snow came just as they started to look for Barry. They didn't find any trace of him for months. The police finally found his body in the spring. He was lying against a tree deep in the woods. Someone had broken his skull. He still had his rifle, but his favorite hunting knife was gone. Everyone thought Conklin must have killed him, but they could never prove it. Conklin went back up the mountains later that year. This time he brought his friend Ed. They spent the first day hiking deep into the woods to set up camp. Ed got so tired that he went to sleep early. A few hours later, he woke up to the sound of Conklin screaming, Don't do it! Please don't do it! It was too dark to see anything. Ed found his flashlight and got out of his tent. He found Conklin lying against a nearby tree. He was dead. A hunting knife had been pushed deep into his heart. Ed brought the police to Conklin's body. When they dusted the knife for fingerprints, they were shocked by what they found. The fingerprints. They belonged to Barry. Next, the bullet. That, that's the name of the story. Henry and Emily had been married for years. One day, Henry decided to leave her. He met someone else and wanted to marry her instead. Emily begged him not to leave, but Henry didn't listen. Emily was so heartbroken that she killed herself. Her brother swore to his family he would get revenge on Henry. Emily's brother went to Henry's home later that year. He planned to kill him. When he arrived at Henry's house, he found him working out in the yard. Emily's brother fired his gun at Henry. The first shot missed. The bullet hit a tree and got stuck there. Emily's brother tried again, but Henry managed to run off. He told the police what happened, and Emily's brother went to jail. Years later, Henry decided he wanted some more space in his yard. He got at his saw to cut down some trees. One tree was so big that a saw wasn't going to be strong enough to bring it down. Henry used dynamite instead. As soon as he saw the explosion, he felt something hit him right in the chest. He looked down and saw blood pouring onto his shirt, and in a few moments, he was dead. The bullet from years earlier had been stuck in the tree. 
the explosion called to shoot right back into Henry. Yikes. Camping. When I was in college, my friends and I liked to go camping. We would try to find spots that were supposed to be haunted. We thought it was fun to tell ghost stories around the fire until someone got too scared. There was one forest nearby we always wanted to camp in. It was close to an old road that not many people used anymore. People said there were plenty of ghosts in that area. We didn't really believe them, but we thought it would be fun to camp there anyway. One weekend, we all got together and headed to the woods with our camping gear. That night, we made a fire and told stories like we always did. It was getting pretty late, and we were almost ready to sleep when someone walked out of the woods and found our campsite. At first, we were scared, but we quickly realized this person was some sort of a police officer or a forest ranger. He was dressed in that kind of clothing. Doing some camping, he asked. We told him we were. We thought it was allowed out here. The man said it was, but that we should also be careful. He said that a lot of bad people hung out in these woods, too. He left us alone after that. Soon we all went to sleep. The next morning we headed back to college. We stopped at a restaurant for breakfast on the way. The folks at the restaurant asked if we'd been out ghost hunting. They say a lot of college students did that kind of thing. We told them we were. When they asked if we had seen anything, we said we hadn't, but we told them about the man who visited us at the campsite. They thought that was strange. Not many officers patrolled those woods anymore. And when they asked what the man's clothing looked like, I noticed the picture on the wall. And the man in it looked exactly like the man who visited our campsite. When I told him this, they just looked back at us in shock. That's not possible, the man who owned the restaurant said. The man in the picture was part of the forest for patrol, but there was no forest patrol like that anymore. He said the picture was more than 50 years old. Still with me? I got more. Let's do it again, huh? This one's called Black Eyes. Yes, Black Eyes, not Black Guys. Which, by the way, you're only dealing with one right now. And I'm all you need. Talk to the ladies! <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into it. Black Eyes. Megan had just gone to bed. She was almost asleep when she heard a knock at the door. I wonder who could be at the door so late, she said. Megan never got visitors at that hour. She headed to the door and opened it up. Standing on her front porch were two children. One was a girl who looked about six years old. The other was a boy. He looked a couple of years older. For some reason, Megan was scared of them right away. She wasn't sure why. They were just kids after all. But somehow, it seemed like they wanted to hurt her. We need to come in, said the boy. His voice was very polite. Well, not in the way I read it. But Megan thought he almost sounded like an adult and a child. Why do you need to come in, Megan asked. Our mother will be worried about us. We need to use your phone and call her. Why are you out so late? Megan still wasn't sure why these children scared her so much. She felt like she was looking at someone truly evil. Usually she would be happy to let two children call their mother, but something about these children were different. Just let us in. Our mother is worried, the boy said. The girl didn't seem like she was going to talk at all. She just looked like she was watching the boy. I don't let strangers into my house, Megan said. Tell me your mother's number. I'll call it for you. No, the boy said. He sounded angry now. Let us in. Suddenly, Megan realized why she was so afraid of these children. She couldn't understand it, why she didn't notice it before. Their eyes were completely black. There was no color at all. 
Megan felt a chill. It was like they had her in a trance before. She knew it should not have taken her that long to notice their eyes. You can't come in, Megan said. She was sure that they would try to hurt her if she let them in. She didn't know why they just didn't force their way in the house. Let us in, the boy said. No, Megan quickly shut the door. As soon as she had the boy start pounding on it. Let us in! Let us in! Megan wanted to run to the phone, but she was too scared to move. She thought if she turned her back, the boy might open up the door and attack her. He pounded on the door for a long time. It might have just been minutes, but it felt like hours. Then suddenly he stopped. And after a moment, Megan stepped to the window next to the door and looked out. There was no sign of him. <laughs> Chilly, huh? J360 Radio! Monster Fest! Tonight is called A Night Drive. Jenna and Mike had just moved out to the country. They spent a lot of nights driving around. It was a lot of fun to explore their new home. One night they were on a dark, deserted road when Jenna spotted something in the sky. What are those, she said. What, Mike asked. Those two lights, Jenna pointed up to a spot right above the car. Mike looked up. Like Jenna said, there were two small lights flying above them. It seemed like they matched in the speed of the car. You think it's a plane? Mike asked. I don't think so. What else could they be? Mike, Jenna said. Those don't look like airplane lights. Those look like eyes. Mike looked at him again. They were so high up, it was hard to get a good look, especially while driving. But soon, Mike realized Jenna was right. The two lights looked like animal eyes. In fact, they looked like they belonged to a very big bird up in the sky. At first, Jenna and Mike didn't notice that about them. It was very dark and they couldn't see much, but now they were sure it was some kind of animal following them. I'll speed up, Mike said. Let's just get away from them. Something about them eyes scared him. He drove faster, but the animal just flew faster. Jenna watched it follow them. It's coming closer, she said. And it was. The thing was flying down towards the car. Now that it was flying so high up, Mike and Jenna could see it much more clearly. What is that thing, Mike said. It was too dark to see it clearly, but it had the shape of a gigantic bat. And it was at least as big as a human. Hmm, that guy sounds familiar. Drive faster, Jenna said. Mike sped up, and it was a dark night. And it wasn't safe to drive that fast, but they both wanted to get as far away as they could. It didn't work. No matter how fast Mike drove, the animal kept up with him, and it seemed to be staring at them with its terrible eyes. Mike was driving as fast as he could, still he couldn't seem to get away from it. The thing was very close now. It definitely wasn't any sort of bird either of them had seen. It had huge wings that never flapped, and it also looked like it had arms and legs like a human, but it was too dark to be sure. Mike was sure it would catch them. He knew he couldn't drive any faster, but then they saw streetlights up ahead. They were getting closer to the nearby town. Soon the thing started flying up towards the sky again. By the time Mike and Jenna reached the town, its eyes were the only two dots in the sky. They flew higher and higher until they vanished from sight. Oh, man. Yo. <laughs> Speaking of which... This is based off of that Mothman story. Like, allegedly, if you're riding around at night and there's, like, two eyes that are glaring down and something's following you, chances are it's the Mothman. And then uh, he would leave, like, something, too, because the way his wings are, they would leave, like, a pinstripe in your car. So there might be some truth to this, but, see, a lot of people, you know, they're, they're still trying to locate and hunt down the Mothman. But, yeah, that's definitely a Mothman story. Mm, mm, mm. 
Could you imagine being chased by him? Like, what would any of you guys do? I know some of y'all would actually try to Snapchat that, but what exactly would you try to do to survive to get away from him? You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to leave that as some food for thought because we got some more stories to tell. Your next one is called The Coffin. Robert Burton owned a farm outside of town with his wife, Margaret. He was a healthy man most of the time, but one day he got sick. At first, he thought it was a cold, but it kept getting worse. One morning, he wouldn't wake up. Margaret got the town doctor over. He looked Robert over and told Margaret the sad news. Robert had died. Margaret had been very in love with her husband. No one was surprised when she broke down crying at his funeral. The night after Robert was buried, Margaret had a dream. Robert was in it. He told her he was still alive and he needed her help. Most of the time, Margaret didn't believe dreams meant anything. But this time, it was different. She went to the doctor and begged him to check the coffin. The doctor tried to tell Margaret that Robert was certainly dead. He said it was normal to have those type of dreams after losing a loved one. Margaret didn't care. She insisted they dig up the coffin. She said she would pay whatever it cost. The doctor gave in. The Burtons were close friends. He thought it would help Margaret to get over her loss if she could see her husband was dead. He got in touch with some folks at the cemetery and had them dig up Robert's coffin. Margaret joined in. She dug faster than anyone. Like she knew her husband was running out of time. When they opened the coffin, Margaret began to cry again. Robert was dead. But one of the other diggers noticed something strange. The tips of Robert's fingers were bloody. And there were such deep scratch marks on the lid of the coffin. It almost looked like Robert woke up and tried to claw his way out. Damn. Yo, could you imagine, though, like, there are moments, like, where your body just shuts down like that, and people cannot resuscitate you or so, and then chances are you do wake up, like, later on, so... Might be some truth to this one. Could you imagine being uh, labeled or considered certifiably dead? And you're not really dead. You're just tapped out. That would suck. That is a scary way to wake up. Like, you know, especially when you're like six feet under. Or or just trying your best to bust out. And knowing full well you can't. And if you're claustrophobic, well, you know. Ain't no way you're going to be coming out of there not screaming or whatever. But, you know, there is a sick gag you could do with that, right? Like, say, like, if the corpse is there and you had, like, one of your old phones that somehow still had power to it and you could call it and then you'd ring it up, like, as soon as he's laying there and stuff, like, have any sort of theme or whatever you record playing each time. But but don't, don't do that. Respect the dead. Respect the dead. Moving on, moving on. This one's called Claw Marks. Christopher was driving home from work late last night. His parents always let him use their car if he was going to work. It was very dark out, but Christopher heard a thud, thud, thud noise. He realized one of his tires had gone flat. So he pulled over to the side of the road to change his tires. The wood surrounded him on both sides. He wanted to get the job done quickly. He didn't like being out there so late at night. He just finished putting on the new tire when he heard a much louder thud, thud, thud noise. But this one was much louder. Christopher sprung up to see something terrible running towards him. It was hard to get a good look at it in the dark. It ran on two feet like a person, but it was much bigger than a man. And its skin was green. It was almost looking like a cross between a human and a lizard. Christopher jumped in his car and tried to drive off, but before he could, the monster hopped on the roof of the car and started banging on it. Christopher drove fast, and eventually the thing fell off. He didn't stop to get a good look at it. When he got home, his parents were angry that he was out so late. They were even more angry when they saw the car. 
the car the car was a wreck the windows were cracked one of the side mirrors was gone and there were huge dents all over it christopher told him the story at first they didn't believe him they thought he made it to sort of explain why the car was in such bad shape but when they looked at a closer surface of the car the roof was covered in deep scratches and it almost looked like some sort of huge animal tried to claw its way in. Sounds like La Chupacabra. Yeah, it might be La Chupacabra. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, if you're out there in those areas, I think it should be um, legal for you to have a shotgun in the back. Almost like a police officer, right? So, like, when you see... Well, hold on a minute. That's why we're in this problem, right? So... I don't know, but like I said, once again, if he, if you're out there, that's bad enough, but if somebody else out there, and it's a creature of sorts, nothing good will come from that either, so it's all about protecting yourself, and you know, uh, blunt force trauma and stakes can only do so much when you got a little pump action going on, and you just gotta go ahead and take them out, a little different, a little different, it's all about circumstances, you know, now, this one's called Faces. Maria was feeding her newborn baby in the kitchen one night. Suddenly, the baby looked down towards the floor and started crying. Maria looked down to see what upset her. To her horror, Maria saw the image of a human face had appeared on the floor. It almost looked like a child's painting. There wasn't a lot of detail, but it looked like the face was of someone who was in pain. Maria's son destroyed the face and poured new concrete over the spot on the floor. But the face appeared again the next night. This time, there were more. They all looked like they were in pain or like they were angry. Maria and her son tried painting over them, but they would keep coming back every night. It seemed like there would be more and more of them. It got so bad that Maria asked her priest to come and bless the house. When he arrived, he told her he knew why the faces kept appearing. Why, Maria asked. This land used to be a hospital, he said. A lot of people died here. The priest did a ritual to put the spirits at rest. After that, the faces stopped showing up. Over the years, some people stopped believing in the story. They thought Maria had made it up all for attention. But even though many tried, they were never able to explain where the faces came from. You know, there's a variation on that story, too. Like, um, you know, when faces just randomly appear in things. No, I'm not talking about that Jesus stuff. But then again, it's Jesus. Jesus can appear anywhere he wants. You know, much like all the other stuff. Same thing with God. But here's the crazy stuff, right? Like, when you have mul multiple moments like that, the one story I heard on a variation with this was when um, this man was accused. He, he had a criminal record, yes, but he was accused of raping and killing someone. And the thing is, he kept admitting that he didn't do it. He had nothing to do with it. He, he was not guilty at all. But the... Uh, but the no, he wasn't a guard. But the um, interrogating officer... Who had a who had a record of breaking down even the most hardened criminals to get them to confess? He wanted to maintain his record. He wasn't trying to protect anybody. He just kept going onward and onward until he abused and beat the man. And the man, you know, got upset as they were taking him out. He said, "I didn't do anything." And then he slapped his bloody palm on the wall. Okay. And then as soon as he slapped his bloody palm on the wall. You know, he walked out of there, but the bloody palm just, you know, stayed there. And each and every time, like, that interrogating officer interrogated a suspect, the bloody palm would always be there. And then he tried to get painters to paint over it, try to get people to sand over it. But one way or another, that bloody palm kept coming to 
until the one day when, you know, the guy was trying to interrogate another suspect. And then a heart attack happened. And that heart attack took him out. The bloody palm disappeared. So, you know, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe, like, when they build um, houses on top of land of the restless, you know, chances are they're going to come and want restitution on your ass. Matter of fact, there's several movies about that. It's called Porter Guys. At least one and two. I don't know. I think three kind of sucked. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> this next one is called Hands. Not a lot of people like to drive down the old road through the woods. The road should have been safe, but lots of people still get in accidents when they took it. Alan didn't know those stories. He was in the area one night visiting some old friends. On his way back, he decided to take the road. It was a nice night, and he liked driving through the woods on nice nights. Fool. The road was empty except for his car. He drove carefully in any case that animals would dart out from the woods. Alan had driven less than a mile when his car jerked suddenly to the right. He almost went off the road, but he was able to get the steering wheel straight again. When he looked down at the steering wheel, he was nearly frozen in terror. A pair of ghostly hands was gripping it. Without warning, they turned the wheel to the left. Again, Alan was barely able to get the wheel straight again. He tried to stop the car, but instead it was speeding up. He was flying down the road, going much too fast. The hands once again forced the car to the right. The wheels went off the road, but Alan got control of it again before driving straight into a ditch. For miles, it went on like this. The ghostly hands kept trying to send the car, flying off the road. It took all of Alan's effort to keep the car straight. All this time, he was speeding like a madman. He didn't mean to, but it seemed like the car had a life of his own. He was sure he would crash eventually. Finally, Alan saw he was getting close to the end of the road. For some reason, he knew if he got there, he would be safe. But the hands were stronger than ever. His car would swerve to the right, then suddenly swerve to the left. And there was nothing he could do to stop it. Alan used all his strength to grip the steering wheel and keep it straight. He was so close to the end of the road, but he wasn't sure how much longer he could hold on. Finally, he reached a stoplight that marked the road's end point. And as soon as he got there, the car stopped and the ghostly hands vanished from sight. Jesus Christ, man. Now that's scary. You know, I don't know what's scary. That or the fact that, you know, chances are it could be a ghost's foot or something on the gas pedal and never going towards the brake, even though you know you have to brake. And, oh my God, that's creepy. You know something, though? I, I think, like, certain roads out there do tell a story like that, especially, like, if the the, the apparition is from maybe an alcoholic or somebody that was killed out there on the road, like vengeful ghosts and all, you know? And this particular one was going to have him experience the same thing he experienced, regardless what. And either way, old Alan would have been dead because of <laughs> blunt force trauma. That's just crazy, though. Oh, boy. Oh, you'll probably like this one. This one is called The Unsolved Murder. Something strange was happening at the Gruber farm. One morning, Mr. Gruber found a set of footprints in the snow. They came from nearby woods and stopped at the farm. He looked around but couldn't find the person the footprints belonged to. Then the noises start. The family heard footsteps coming from some of the other rooms. When they were sure that no one was in them, the family made quit. She said the house was haunted. Mr. Gruber also noticed that some items would go missing around the farm like food. One morning, the Gruber children didn't arrive at school. For a few days, no one saw any member of the family in town. Some villagers finally headed over to the farm to see what the trouble was. 
and they found a terrible scene. Every member of the Gruber family was in the barn. So the new maid... Oh, wow, she was there too. They had been killed with an axe. See, I was thinking that she did it. But anyway, anyway. So that's when people remembered all the strange story Mr. Gruber had told. They didn't think much of him at the time, but now they seem more serious. The police figured that the killer must have been hiding out in different parts of the farm for a long time. One night he came out from hiding and killed the Grubers and their maid. But they never found the killer. Could you imagine, like, you know, being, like, for one day, that things would, um, you, you, could you really imagine, like, for one day, like, things are normal, nothing's a problem, but then all of a sudden stuff starts disappearing around you, and, like, you know, things like where you put them, like, certain food items and all, and it's not because you ate them or anything, it's because, like, one way or another, you think it's haunted, but it's even worse than that, it's a stranger in your house. Like, some of them old houses and stuff that people will actually buy or look into, like, chances are, you have one of those things where it's like, somebody or anybody could come out of the crawl space or areas where, like, you think people are not supposed to live at for quite some time, and you see, like, sleeping bags, Snickers bars, wrappers, any sort of thing that they could find, along with a pickle jar, if you think that's a pickle in it, you're not paying attention, that's a, you know what I mean, it's a toilet, one way or another, Somebody is squatting in that house, and you probably just had the place at a reasonable price or all those other scenarios where, you know, the deal's too good to be true. I mean, like, that stuff is just scary, man. The fact that you could have squatters sitting up in there, and you don't even know it. Like, like they're so good at being quiet. And then, like, when you go to sleep, they're not asleep. They're sitting up watching the late show and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that somehow they don't need to listen to the volume to know what's going on. But you're still knocked down in the sleep. Unbelievable, man. <laughs> Alright, now these stories come out of scary stories to tell if you dare three. Uh, this one is called The Chase. So let's see what happened. This happened when I was in high school. I was on the basketball team because we live in a very rural part of the country. We would have to travel to a very long way to play games against other schools sometimes. Usually we would stay at a hotel overnight after a game... If the trip was going to be very long. But there were some trips when the school didn't have enough money to pay for hotels. This was one of those trips. After finishing up our game at another school many hours from our own, we all piled in the bus and headed back home. It was late at night and it would be a very long drive. Most of the others on the team fell asleep pretty fast. For some reason, I couldn't sleep very well, so I decided to stay up and look out the window during the trip. I lived near a Native American reservation back then. You couldn't see much of it in the dark night. But even so... I felt like I had to look out the window the whole time. It was almost like something was looking back at me. I should also point out that the bus driver was driving very fast at this point. He'd actually started driving very fast as soon as we got to the reservation. Before that point, he'd been taking it nice and slow. What I saw next would have been strange no matter what, but it was even stranger when I remember how fast we were driving. Out in the field next to the road, I saw a figure running towards the bus. We were going... No more than 70 miles per hour at this point, but this figure seemed like it was gaining on us quickly. 
Once it was close enough, I could see that its body was the shape of a person's, but it was very tall. Its face was black, and its eyes were glowing. The figure was now running alongside the road and had no trouble keeping up with our bus, even though we were going so fast. It stared at me with just those terrible glowing eyes. I wanted to look away or at least tell someone else about what I was seeing, but I couldn't seem to. Then the thing started smiling at me. This wasn't a normal smile. It was ear-to-ear smile, and beneath its lips, I could see the thing's horrible yellow teeth. I don't know how long this lasted, or it could have been a few seconds, but it felt like hours. And finally, the thing fell to all fours. It looked like its bones were starting to crack inside of itself, as if it was turning into some kind of animal. Hair started growing all over its body. After a few seconds, whatever it had turned into was a coyote. And I know what coyotes look like, having grown up near them. And that was exactly what I saw. It ran off into the night. And that was the last I saw of it. Yo. <laughs> Skinwalkers, man. Oh, man, that is awesome. <laughs> no, it's horrible as hell if you know the legend of a skinwalker. But but it, that, that for this particular story, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, the fact that these, these guys have just come out of the woodwork, too. Like, you know, everybody talks about its cousin, the werewolf. But a skinwalker is just as deadly as can be, too. Might as well just go ahead and keep a lookout. I think skinwalkers can operate in the day, can't they? Now that I think about it, I should have pulled up the legend and told y'all about that a little bit. But, uh, nah. <laughs> Alright, so, let's see about a few more stories for you all. Okay, the crying baby. A lot of baby stories, huh? Hmm. Interesting. Lynn and Bobby's parents had gone out for the night, so Sam was babysitting them. Everything was normal for most of the night. They played games, watched TV, and told jokes. By the time it was dark out, they were all sitting around the TV downstairs watching the show. But soon they started to hear a noise that didn't sound like it was coming from the TV at all. Did you hear that? Sam asked the children. Bobby and Lynn both said they did. It sounded like a baby crying outside, Lynn said. Sam agreed that it did. The crying seemed to be coming from right outside the front door. You two stay here, Sam said. I'm going to go see what's wrong. Should we call the police? Bobby asked. Yeah, yeah. Bobby has a very deep voice for an eight-year-old. Kind of like Gohan. Wait for me to get back, Sam said. I'll call them. Sam headed upstairs and walked out the front door. A few seconds later, the crying stopped. But Sam didn't come back in right away. She's probably trying to calm the baby down first, Lynn said. She'll be back. But she didn't come back. Many minutes passed. Lynn and Bobby started to get very scared. They both looked out the window, but they didn't see anyone. They thought about going outside to look for Sam... But they had been told to stay put. The children tried to call her, but no one answered. Bobby finally decided to call the police, and when he told them what had happened, the officer on the other line told them to stay put. He was sending somebody over right away. The officer made them promise not to go outside in the meantime. The police got to their home very quickly. Hmm, they ain't the cops from around here, then. Bobby and Lynn asked where Sam was, but the officer wouldn't say anything until their parents got home. One officer sat with them around the TV while another waited by the door. Bobby and Lynn's parents got home about an hour later. When they saw a police car in the driveway and an officer waiting at the door, they rushed inside and asked what was wrong. The officers told them what happened. They told Bobby, Lynn, and both their parents to call the police if they ever hear a baby crying outside again. There was a killer on loose in the state who was tricking people into coming outside by playing a recording of a baby crying outside people's homes. When someone came out to find out what was wrong, he would usually force them into his car and drive off with them. Only one person managed to escape so far. That's how the police knew about his trick. The killer usually played his trick on babysitters. 
So watch your ass. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, honestly, though, that's not too far from the truth. Because um, if you consider, like, some of the voice changers out here. Oh, there I go. <laughs> but if you consider some of the voice changers and things out here, and not to mention that as everybody has a camera, everybody has a voice recorder, too. You got to be careful. And some of those voice recorders, you know, can be very accurate in what sounds they pull. Especially when it comes in clear as a bell. Yeah, 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 man. You got to gotta always check yourself. Whether you're a kid or whether you are a teenage woman, things like that. Just got to be aware of what's going down. Now, your next one will be The Woman in the Window. Charles Perry was a soldier in the Civil War, but he wasn't always fighting in battle. Sometimes his job was to go to nearby farms and houses to ask for supplies. Because of the war, people knew the army needed milk, eggs, water, and other things like that from time to time. Charles was looking for houses to get supplies from one day when he found an old farm in a part of the country that he'd never been to before. Smoke was coming out of the chimney, so he knocked on the door and asked to come in. No one answered. He knocked harder and told him he was a soldier who needed supplies for the army. Still no answer. At first, he decided to look for another house. Maybe who lives here forgot to put the fire out, he said to himself. Charles started to walk away when he noticed something in the upstairs window. A beautiful woman was looking down at him. She had flowing brown hair and wore a pink silk dress. Hey, baby. This made Charles change his mind. He forced his way into the farm and called out for the woman. Why didn't you answer me? He asked. Don't you know I'm a soldier? We need supplies. He didn't get a reply, but the fire was still burning and there was food at the table, so he was sure somebody was in the house. Charles headed upstairs to call out for the woman, but still no answer. He searched every corner of every room and couldn't find anyone. Maybe I'm just imagining things, he told himself. He was about to leave when he saw the woman out of the corner of his eye in one of the rooms, unless she snuck in the closet door he had missed when searching for her, but he made his way over to that spot. There was no door at all. The wall was completely solid. Charles decided to find the closest neighbor to ask about the woman he had seen. Pretty soon he reached another farmhouse about a mile away. An old woman came out to greet him. Who lives a f Who lives in the farmhouse a mile to the south, he asked. I saw a woman in there, but now I can't find her. The old woman seemed confused. No one lives in that house anymore, she said. A drunken soldier stopped by there a couple of years ago and killed the woman who lived in that farm, which she wouldn't give him any money. It was very sad. She was a beautiful girl, had pretty brown hair, and always wore her best pink silk dress. Charles couldn't believe it. He went back to the old farmhouse to see for himself. That old woman must be crazy, he said. But when he got in there, the smoke wasn't coming from the chimney anymore. Inside, there was no fire burning, no food at the table. The place was dark and filled with cobwebs. And the only sign that someone had ever been there was his footprints on the dusty floor. Jeez. You know, what, what can y'all say to that? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's about the only thing you can say about that, you know? Wild, creepy stuff, man. Whew. I felt the chill on that one. I mean, all that spread laid out there, and a beautiful woman up there, and then all of a sudden it turns out that none of it was real. Would you go mad from the revelation like that? See, I'm quite mad already, but the thing is, that probably would add to it. Ugh. Scary. Okay, y'all. This will be your next one. It's called A Cold Feeling. Jones was a student at the college a few hours away from where he grew up. 
That weekend he drove home to visit his grandmother. She'd raised him since he was a child, and she was feeling very sick, so he wanted to check in on her. When Jones reached his grandmother's house, he saw that she was much sicker than she had told him. I have to take you to the hospital, Jones said. You need to see a doctor. I don't need to go to no hospital, his grandmother said. I'll be fine. She was an old-fashioned woman who thought she could take care of herself. Most of the time, Jones would let her make these types of choices on her own, but this time was different. He knew she'd get much worse if he hadn't get her some help from a doctor. Finally, Jones convinced his grandmother to let him drive her to the nearby hospital. He stayed with her for a few days, but he had a big test coming up, so by Wednesday he had to drive back to the college. His grandmother had been pretty calm during her time at the hospital, but when Jones said he was going to drive back to the college, that changed. She was very upset and asked him not to leave. I have to go back to school for this test. I'll be back here very soon, he said. That night, Jones drove back to the college. It was already cold. But as he drove back, he noticed his car kept getting colder and colder. Much colder than he thought it should be. He turned up the heat, but it didn't do any good. Then he saw something in the rearview mirror. When the car was at its coldest, he swore he saw his grandmother wrapped up in a blanket in the back seat. He parked the car and turned around to check, but there was no one there. Must have been my imagination, Jones thought. He started the car again and began driving back to the college. His friends were waiting for him in the parking lot as soon as he got there. There was a phone call for you, one of his friends said. I think you should go and find out what it was all about. We'll unpack your car. Jones did as he was told. In the meantime, his friends took his bags up to his room. They noticed the inside of the car was very, very cold. Far too cold for that night. When Jones got back to the room, he told his friends what the phone call had been about. It turned out his grandmother had died in the hospital while he was driving to the college. The doctor said she died at 7 o'clock that night. And that was the same time he seen her in the rearview mirror. Whew. You know, I just felt some chills from that, too. <laughs> Tell you the truth, it doesn't take much, man. Like, you know, you should really feel the temp sometimes. I remember reading this story, and I think I told you all that, where there was this haunted room at this college. And the thing is, the reason why they knew it was haunted was because whereas everything else was warm in the dorm, that particular room was always cold. And it, it stayed cold to the point where if it got colder... There would be the image of a young man or a young woman in there. And as that person is in there, it's said that that person is actually the spirit of someone who who was killed or some sort of way died in that room. And they kept trying to exercise it in some ways. And then in another way, like they kept trying to get rid of it to no avail. It got to the point where they shut down that whole area in the college. And you see, like some of these colleges are very old. And then like these... <laughs> dorm rooms and living spaces did they ever get checked out or did oh, you know what I mean like you always question that but some of these very very old places they they might have some stories to tell in them I remember like I, I lived on a dorm one time this is when I was going to DSU for that one year and um it used to get real cold up there so I don't know maybe there was a haunted area nearby but I didn't see too much of anything other than, like, uh, drunk fools pooping on the floor and crap. Yeah, yeah, you know, dorm life, man. If you can avoid it, avoid it. But if you really want to experience that stuff, yeah, it's wild. So, let's see. We got a few more minutes in the show. So, um, hmm, you guys think you're ready for one more story before I go ahead and I hit us out of here? Yeah. 
yeah, let me go ahead and give you another one. This one's called The Prank. During the first few weeks of college, the frat would play pranks on the new students who wanted to become members. This had been going on for years. They needed to put their new members to the test to make sure they were serious about wanting to join. Of course, that wasn't the only reason for pranks. The older members of the frat had a lot of fun laughing at the way their pranks and tricks would scare the younger students. That's why they were so unhappy with one student who wanted to become a member of their frat. His name was Jeremy, and nothing they did seemed to bother him very much. Tricks that would terrify others didn't seem to scare Jeremy at all. One day, a few of the members of the frat decided that they would play their scariest prank yet on Jeremy. They showed up at his dorm saying they wanted to take him out for a ride in the country. They said there was something he needed to do if he really wanted to join the frat. Jeremy agreed, but he was all, already seemed a little more frightened than he usually would be, but since he didn't say very much for the entire ride, about a half an hour of driving, they reached an old abandoned house. It was very dark out. We're going down to the basement, the driver of the car said. We have to show you something down there, Jeremy. They all went down to the basement, two of them holding Jeremy by the arms to make sure he wouldn't run away. That should be a red flag right there. Uh, the driver carried a bag with him. Jeremy wasn't sure what could possibly be in it. When they got down to the basement, they needed flashlights to see, and it looked like all that was down there was a small bit. Get on that bed, Jeremy, the driver said. You have to do this if you want to be part of our frat. Another red flag. Uh, at first, Jeremy didn't move, but he figured that this was just a prank and he'd be fine. But when he got on the bed, the boys suddenly held him down. They tied his arms and legs to the bed so tight that he could barely move. They put a gag in his mouth and a blindfold over his eyes. What kind of club is this? Don't worry, Jeremy, the driver said. All we're going to do is cut your arm a little so we can get a few drops of blood. We need to know if you have what it takes to be a member of our fret. Jeremy tried to struggle, but he was tied up so tight he couldn't do anything. In the meantime, the driver took out a knife. He never actually planned on cutting Jeremy. Instead of using the dull blade of the blade, he ran the dull flat side of the blade along Jeremy's arms. One of the other boys poured out a little bit of cold water over the spot where the driver had rammed the knife along Jeremy's arms to make him think he actually had been cut. They knew Jeremy was so scared he wouldn't realize the water wasn't actually his blood. They had to all try very hard not to laugh while they played at their trick. They also set up a pan beneath Jeremy's arm so he could hear the water dripping down. They tied the water bottle to a rope hanging from the ceiling, tilted it just perfectly so it would continue to slowly drip water in a pan. That way, Jeremy would hear the dripping and think he was still bleeding. Oh, we're going to go out for a little bit, the driver said. We should be back in a few hours. Don't bleed too much, Jeremy. We hope none of the rats down here get you while we're out. The older members of the frat went driving around for a while, joking how badly they finally scared Jeremy. They couldn't wait to see the look on his face when they got back. But when they finally got back to the basement, all that changed. Jeremy was so still, it looked like he almost had fallen asleep. When they took off the blindfold and the mouth gag, they could see that his face was frozen in a look of complete fear. They tried to get Jeremy to snap out of it, but he wouldn't respond. The frat members got kicked out of the school after that. The doctor had told them Jeremy died of fright. Oh, snap. Man, that's crazy, right? <laughs> but, you know, honestly, back in the day... Fraternity um, fraternity pledges used to go through a lot of rigorous training, man, just to be part of a group. I mean, at the end of the day, you always remember that you're going to be part of a brotherhood regardless of what sort of pledging um, activities you get thrown into. But, yeah, they, they, they went a couple, they went a little too far on a few things back in those days. See, nowadays, not so much because the hazing, you know, led to harassment. 
But you see, back in those days, though, if you weren't part of it and you weren't willing to deal with that stuff, they said you weren't material and you didn't get to be a part of it. Now, there's a lot of movies that talk about that sort of thing, particularly Animal House and if you went to a historical black college, uh, School Days. But, you know, the thing is, it's like at the end of the day, if you really got to go through the Olympics just to join something and, you know, it really costs like your well-being and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't think it's really worth it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I guess when I started J360, I put Mondo through a rigorous training. <laughs> Which, by the way, I apologize for that, man. I was young and didn't know any better. <laughs> uh, actually, he turned out okay. He's still vice president. But this is when we had a whole bunch of other people in the group and stuff like that. You know, you try to form things with your old high school buddies. And then, well, they weren't anything, so they all got thrown out by me. I'm good with it, though. <laughs> Damn shame. Other than that, though, Ronda kicked a lot of ass in that whole rigorous thing. We should bring it back some... Uh, I'm kidding. Kidding. Ain't no way I'm bringing that back. Oh, man. But you know something? As I, as I look at it, we need more, like, uh, college horror stories sometime. Like, I haven't seen a decent one in a while now. You know what I mean? Huh. Well... Let me go ahead and uh, find something to write on. I got time tonight. Actually, we got a little bit. No, no, we're getting closer to the end. But again, I think you guys can handle this one more story, all right? The figure in the room. The old woman had not been sleeping well for weeks. She lived with her daughter, and her daughter had been very sick. The woman had spent so much time caring for her that she never got a chance to get much rest. Because of this, when she finally decided to go to sleep, it usually wouldn't take her very long to fall asleep. One night, she was just about to fall asleep when she heard a noise that worried her. The woman listened closely. It sounded like someone was walking up the stairs from the lower level of the house. Then it sounded like it was walking down the hallway towards her room. Her room was so dark that she could barely see anything. But a moment after the footsteps reached her door, she thought it was this figure step inside. It only stayed a moment before walking to her daughter's room. It sounded like the figure opened a door quickly before closing it. After that, it left the daughter's room and went back downstairs and out the front door again. It was very dark, but it had almost looked like the figure was now carrying a piece of her daughter's clothing with it. Normally, the woman would have rushed to her daughter to see if she was okay. This time, she'd been so close to sleep that she believed that it must have been a dream. She'd been so worried about her daughter's illness that it was no surprise that she was having nightmares. However, the same thing happened the next night. Now, the woman wondered if it truly had been a dream, but she decided it probably was. She chose not to mention anything to the rest of the family or her daughter. Everyone else had also been very worried, and she didn't want to give them any more reasons to worry. Then it happened again. On this night, the woman knew she wasn't awake, so it couldn't have been a dream. But she still thought that maybe she was just imagining what she had seen. When she heard the figure walk out the front door, she locked, looked out her window to see if she could get a better look at it in the moonlight. And it was definitely real. The figure slowly walked to the churchyard across the street, and that's when she lost sight of it. That was the last night the figure had appeared. Instead, the woman's daughter died the next night. The family buried her in the churchyard. So, in other words, that was her daughter. Dang, could you imagine? Whew! Man, you talk about some chillers tonight. 
This has actually been pretty good for the Monster Fest this year. J360 Radio! Monster Fest. I do have some nightmare tales for you guys. Now, where we last left off in a year ago, there was a particular story I did want to tell you guys. But this one right here, this caught my eye as I was really looking for things for tonight. So, let's go on ahead and read it. This one is called, Always Leave a Note. A woman had been out shopping in her local town and was carrying several bags up the high street on her way home. As she stepped onto a pedestrian crossing, she got a shock instead of stopping a let's see instead of stopping to let her cross the road a large black saloon shot past her with only inches to spare she muttered under her breath and continued on her way at the top of the hill she sat at the bus stop to wait for the number 44 bus and saw a large car trying to maneuver into a small parking space at the side of the road with some difficulty she realized that it was the same rude driver who had almost knocked her down earlier after successfully parking the car into the gap a large man wearing sunglasses got out of the vehicle and asked the lady if she could keep an eye on his car while she was waiting for the bus, as he didn't trust people in this town. She was taken aback by the request, but just smiled in response. A few minutes later, the elderly driver of the SUV that was parked behind the man's car returned to his vehicle. As he started the engine and prepared to move, the woman realized that he didn't have enough room to extricate his large car from the parking space. She could see what was about to happen, but it was really none of her business. The SUV launched into the rear corner of the parked saloon with a terrible metallic crunch before the driver panicked and accelerated onto the side of the road, scraping all the paint off one side of the car in the process. The old man got out of the SUV looking suitably sheepish. He said, I thought there was enough space, he exclaimed to the washing woman, shaking his head. I'll leave a note with my contact details. He went back to the car and returned with a notepad, wrote something, and left a page under the windshield wiper of the damaged vehicle. No sooner had he driven off than the other driver reappeared, his face turning red with rage when he saw the damage. He asked the woman if she had seen the car that caused it, but she explained that she didn't know much about cars. They all looked the same to her. However, she pointed out that the other driver did leave a note. The angry driver ripped it off the windshield and read it out loud. I'm only leaving this note because there is a lady watching me do it, sucker. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> We're off to a good start with this one. That was creepy, but it was funny, though. You know? It hits you in the right feels. Oh, man. Oh, here we go. Here's one for you guys. This is called The Lodger. Hey, this is a special one for you Airbnb kind of people out there. I don't know if y'all still do that with the COVID, but then again, you probably do. You just have to clean up a little bit better afterwards, right? Okay, so, the lodger. You know that feeling sometimes you get when you sense that you've been watched in your own home? The sensation in the back of your head or visions of what might be behind the door or the shower curtain or a presence under your bed or in your wardrobe? Objects that show up in strange places? Sometimes it's not a figment of your imagination. A Japanese man had been noticing insignificant but odd happenings for several weeks. Food would disappear that he didn't remember eating. He heard strange noises in the night and never found the source. Possessions that would go missing and then mysteriously turn up again. At first, he thought that the individuals responsible for these strange going-ons might be burglars checking to see if there's anything worth stealing. So in order to get to the bottom of the mystery, he rigged up surveillance cameras that sent images to his mobile phone. Then he waited. The breakthrough came when he saw a woman on camera stealing food from the kitchen. He called the police, but she had disappeared by the time they arrived. 
Officers expected to find evidence of a burglary, but oddly, all of the doors and windows were locked out from the in inside. Nobody had broken in and nobody had broken out. So how had the woman entered the house? They turned the building upside down and eventually cracked the case. They found her hiding in a cupboard where bedding was stored and realized that she had been living there for quite some time. The woman had moved in undetected one year previously when the owner had left the front door unlocked. She did not steal anything but food and the officers described her as neat and clean as she took regular showers in the man's bathroom while he was at work. He took pity on her and did not press charges, but he was left to wonder just how much of his private life this uninvited guest had been observing. Wow. So that just lets you know, don't leave the damn door open. As a matter of fact, I should go ahead and go on commercial break and close mine, but then again, come as you are, folks. I've been itching for a good fight. Anyway. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you really shouldn't ask for things because you might get it. And here I am trying to move. So, you know, little things like that. Anyway, this one is called Too Close for Comfort. A British teenage girl had started to receive messages from a boy who went to her school. It started off in a friendly manner, and she was flattered. But then the message became more intense, and the boy declared that he liked to keep watch on her. Stated that he wanted to be the first thing she saw when she woke up. She didn't realize that he meant it literally. One night he sent her a text saying, I'm watching you. She found it so worrying that she slept in her mother's bedroom to feel safer than she would have done in her ground floor room. And then, just as she, before she fell asleep, another text arrived, I'm in your house. She dismissed this as a dark joke. The next morning, she had forgotten about the boy and returned to her own room. She was chatting to a friend on the phone when she got the eerie feeling that somebody was watching her. She checked in the wardrobe and behind the doors and curtains, but there was nobody there. Perhaps she was imagining things. Then she noticed that the shoe boxes that usually lay neatly under her bed had been disturbed. And when she bent down to put them back, she saw that he really was watching her. He had been in her house all night. Ooh, oh, 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 man. You know something? Those, those people on Reddit, you know, the nice guys and nice girls of the world, you might want to be aware of exactly what you're live streaming out there because... Some people are very bold about their circumstances. I'm just letting you know. And we already had like two uh, home invasion based stories. It's very interesting, right? Mm. So be mindful of that and make sure you check every closet and cupboard you know. Because, hey, that free room and board is too, too good to pass up. I'm just saying. Well, you know, I'm trying to lighten stuff up. Some of y'all are supposed to be going to bed and then go to work in the morning. Life's already creepy enough, right? Well, here's another one. Okay, so this one is called The Lick. Yeah, yeah, don't you worry about it. And I'm sure Marco over there is probably making a nice OnlyFans joke or something for, you know, State of the Art, which is a show that I'm on with him. But it's like, come on, man. <laughs> it ain't like that. Now, back to The Lick. A young college student her first year away from home was given a puppy by her parents to keep her company. They thought she might feel safer with the dog since she had trouble sleeping at the best of times. As the term progressed, she settled into a daily routine of letting the dog sleep under her bed where she could feel its presence by putting her hand over the side to be licked. One night she was drifting off to sleep where she heard a drip in the bathroom. She had got up to turn the tabs off and then returned to bed. Feeling the reassuring lick on her fingers, in the silence she again heard the drip. 
She tried to ignore it, but she couldn't get to sleep, so she wearily got out of bed to see what was causing the noise. She tried all the taps and then pulled back the shower curtain to see if that's where the dripping noise was come from. And there was her dog, hung in the shower, its blood dripping onto the floor, and a scrawled note attached to the collar. It said, humans can lick as well. Mm -mm -mm. That poor dog. You know, it pains me to see like a four-legged animal go through so much trouble and stuff at a certain time. You get what I'm saying? And right off the bat there, you're like, yeah. I mean, my rage at that kind of, you know, overrides the chill I kind of felt. But hey, as a battle-hardened warrior in these year 2021 times, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to carry on. Alright, this one's called Nuisance Caller. Lisa was watching TV during one of her regular babysitting jobs, while the child Barney was asleep upstairs. She was messaging one of her friends on her phone about the program she was watching, when a message from an unknown number popped up, said, How is your evening going? It asked. Lisa assumed it was a friend she hadn't added to her contacts list yet, so she replied, I'm fine. Sorry, who are you? I can't remember. It's someone from your class who likes you. Lisa now had an idea that it might be a boy she had given her number to in class. It's Jeff, right? Yes, this is Jeff. How is the babysitting going? Lisa didn't think she had told anybody apart from her friends what she was up to that evening. How did you know I was babysitting? You told me about it. Don't you remember? She didn't. But it was possible that she had said something about it. Have you checked on the kid? He asked. She hadn't thought for a while, but she lied that she had. It was a weird thing to ask. She thought it could be one of her girlfriends was playing a trick on her, as they all like to do. She sent them messages to ask if they were mucking around and they all denied it, which got her worried. Have you checked on Barney? Came another message. This time she ignored it. Then she heard footsteps on the landing. And she slowly made her way to the hallway and looked upstairs. There was nobody there. And the child's bedroom was shut. Maybe Barney had gone in the bathroom. But then the house phone rang. She assumed that Barney's parents were calling, but she had heard another voice on the line. It's me, Jeff. You didn't answer me. Have you checked on the kid? He might be in danger, you know. This was not Jeff. It was a strange voice she didn't recognize, as if the caller was trying to disguise his identity. Lisa decided to call the police on her mobile, and they told her to stay on the line while they traced the call. Finally, the operator's voice came back on telling her to get out of the house immediately and wait for a police car to arrive. They had traced the call. It was coming from the upstairs extension. Lisa was terrified, but she couldn't leave the child upstairs on his own, so she inched her way up the stairs calling for him, saying that he could come down and watch TV if she wanted. There was no reply, but she didn't dare go any further. Then a man appeared at the top of the stairs, brandishing a gleaming knife, and laughing crazily said, Lisa, you should have checked on the kid. Damn! Barney didn't make it. You, you know something? Let me just say this. Barney gone, all right? Like, like right off the bat, he, he got a haircut too close. He, he ain't coming back in the sequel, man. That's, that's it, you know? Like, right off the bat, I, I can just clearly say he didn't have a chance at all. <laughs> and, you know, what a nice way to go about that, right? Doesn't take much. Hmm. Makes you wonder about Black Christmas, though, with Billy, doesn't it? I never forget it, man. That motherfucker, he was creepy, all right? For real, for real, for real. Agnes, it's me. Remember that? 
<laughs> hey, you know, actually, I did review that, right? So I really don't have to go through the motions of that film again. And, uh, yeah, just in case, Three Bloody Knuckles. It's a classic, but still. All right, so here's the thing. We got another one coming up, and it's called The Forest. A man was taking a walk through a forest on the edge of a small town in Japan. He wanted some fresh air and thought he would explore the area as he had just moved there. But there was an eerie feeling about the place. The forest was not far from a main road, but there was no sound of traffic. And the city and the tree canopy was so dense that it blocked out the light. He spotted a track leading off the main path and thought he saw something move, perhaps a deer. He approached it and slowly realized what he was looking at. A leg, an arm, and a bang, and a booted foot. Swinging slowly in the breeze was the body of a man hanging from a branch above. He froze in terror until he realized that there was another body next to it, strung up in an identical way with a terrible expression on his face. And as he was running back to town to get help, he tripped on something and to his horror realized it was a bone, a large bone. He didn't hang around to find its owner and hurried instead to the police station. The officers listened to his story weren't surprised as they expected. They explained that he had wandered into the suicide forest, a favorite place for people who chose to end their lives, which was rumored to be haunted by ancient ghosts of the dead. They didn't even know how many bodies were hidden in the trees, as so many people traveled from all around the country on a one-way trip. The day that the man had chosen for his walk had coincided with the end of the tax year in Japan, known to be the most popular time for people to visit the forest. There was even a sign put up by the local authorities in an effort to persuade people to think of their families and get help. Hadn't he seen it? The man replied that he hadn't and was shocked by how casual the officers were about the suicides. Then came the realization that those countless dead bodies were going to be his new neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you know what? If I ever had something like that, I would know basically because of how cheap the area would be. And once again, you would think that the smell would get to you, though. All of the stank that would flow through the airs upon misty, misty nights. And then, you know, considering that this is the Monster Fest, that, you know, that you would see that decaying and stank just... Flow right in there and clog up all the senses. It just, it, you know, you would know, right, after a while, especially if you got one dead body, you got two dead bodies, and then you got three dead bodies. Uh, sure, something. Actually, considering that people do uh, ferment after a while, wouldn't there be some fresh crops growing around it? And you know what? <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this. But, you know, hey, that's just me trying to make things light for you guys. After all. Things are going to get a lot more crazier after a while. This one is called Don't Go Inside. A grand old building in a wealthy part of town in Hong Kong had been empty for decades. There had always been rumors that it was going to be a, turned into a luxury hotel or pulled down to build a new housing. But nothing ever happened and it remained unchanged. There were some who claimed that the invading soldiers had used it as a brothel during the war and that many people had died inside. It was registered to be a mysterious shell company based on an offshore island, so nobody really knew who owned it. But everyone who had grown up in the town knew that they didn't want to go inside. Police lore recorded that once, when officers had been called to the sounds of a disturbance, possibly caused by squatters, a small girl had emerged from the building brandishing a knife and attacked the officers as if she was possessed, and then disappeared. 
the local homeless people wouldn't go anywhere near the place. A group of girls who had met at the local school had heard all the stories and decided to check it out for themselves. They had dared each other to last a night in the mansion and upload anything they found onto the internet. They arrived at the forbidden place in high spirits, laughing and joking about what they may find. As they settled in for the night, it wasn't until after midnight that one of them asked the others about sounds she kept hearing. Couldn't they hear the voices from upstairs? They could. One of the girls plucked up the courage to go upstairs with a camera, which started to flash uncontrollably as she entered in an old bedroom, revealing something moving towards her across the room. She panicked and threw herself out the window. She survived, but was never the same again and ended up in a mental hospital, where she still tried repeatedly to throw herself out of the window. One of the other girls picked up the camera, and when the others looked at the images, they screamed in horror, unable to believe what they were seeing. They decided to delete the pictures so that nobody else would ever come across them, and they promised never to talk about that building again. Mm-mm-mm. Man, I'm telling you. That's wild. Whew. Hey, uh, you all still okay? You all still with me on this? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's only the first J-Man show of the Monster Fest. I just figured I'd ask and see how y'all were doing tonight. If you need to have a change of pants, you can go on ahead. I totally understand. But, hey, we have another one. This one is called The Portrait. Online forums and social medias were awash with pictures of painting of a pretty young girl whose striking bright blue eyes looked out intensely. But most people who shared the image were not trying to look at it. It was said that the painting was a self-portrait that originated in Asia, the last act of a talented but tortured artist who had killed herself not long after her boyfriend had broken off their relationship. People said that the girl's face changed as soon as you looked at it, her soft eyes blackening and becoming crueler and colder. Some said that they saw the girl morph into pictures of themselves. The caption warned that Everyone who had stared at the painting for more than 30 seconds had died the next time they fell asleep. And what the same thing would happen to anybody who didn't share the image with everybody on their friends list. Nobody knows if anyone actually died, but certainly a lot of people saw the terrifying painting. I wondered uh, if, if that painting is anything like what the Wendy's logo is based off of, because there is an actual picture of like Dave Thomas's daughter dressed as like you, you know the way she looks on the whole presentation and i'm like this that is one scary damn picture it is like she looked like she's horrified and everything i'm like no offense to you know wendy thomas but i'm just saying like ooh, she she really looked like she was going through it in that damn portrait i'm just saying but you know like at the end of the day there are some paintings that allegedly are creepy like this and you know, like, a lot of people say, um, you know, the Vincent Van Gogh one where he has his ear cut off. Like, there's something with that, too. And, um, I, I, you know, like, sometimes whenever I go to, like, art exhibits and stuff, I do take a look at those paintings and I see them staring right back at me. And it's like, you know, well, as you all should. But it's like, you know, there might be some truth to some of this stuff. Because <laughs> I remember, like, over at, um let's see, the Delaware Art Museum, there is a painting of the Flying Dutchman, and it's well done. It's it's a beautiful painting, but, like, you can just feel like you're right in there on the boat with them. And not to mention the three ghouls that followed them. You know, I was going to share that Flying Dutchman story with y'all tonight, but yo-ho-ho, ho, 
we'll deal with that at another time. Now, this one is called Don't Open the Door. <laughs> a girl lived with friends in a house share while studying at university in Northern England. And she was in on her own one Friday night. Her housemates had gone out to a party, but she didn't feel like joining them. She had joked the reports of a sex attacker preying on women in the local towns were putting her off leaving the house. While reading in the front room, she was scared by a sudden loud banging at the front door. Followed by what sounded like scratching, as if somebody was trying to get in. Then came a strange gurgling noise and heavy breathing, followed by complete silence. She was petrified and hid upstairs, away from the window. She waited for what seemed like hours and heard no more sounds, assuring herself that whoever it had been must have given up and gone away. She eventually fell asleep, but she was woke by some screaming. Her housemates had returned from their night out and were making the usual racket. She went downstairs to tell them to keep the noise down and saw the front door was wide open. Her friends were standing around in the hallway looking cold and shocked. As she came down, one asked, didn't you hear anything? Julia was sprawled on the steps with her throat cut. She had returned to the house earlier in the night to collect her purse and had been followed by someone. She had been attacked and left to die. The noises at the door was Julia trying to get her housemate's attention. Woo. Well, you know, here's the thing. Somebody out there could be asking for help. And that is the wildest thing that you have ever seen. Me thinks. Okay, look, I'm trying to lively that up. I, how can you? I mean, like, the woman is gashed. I mean, you, you know, like, um, what, what can I do? Play some doom sounds or say, like, you know, hey, it'll never happen to you. You know, you live in a very safe space and nothing's, nothing's ever going to happen. Don't believe him. Oh, see, that's inappropriate. Anyway, back to this. The jigsaw puzzle. An elderly lady lived in an old stone cottage in the middle of the moors in Devon. She had been on her own for 20 years since her husband had died, and had become stubborn and set in her ways. She refused to join the modern world and had no television, and her radio had broken long ago. There was one thing that she enjoyed doing after her walks on the moors, jigsaw puzzles. On her rare trips into town, she would buy as many as she could afford and then sit in front of the fire every night until one was completed. One winter, the weather had been so bad that the bus in the town had been unable to get onto the moors, so the woman eventually ran out of puzzles. She tried to make each one last as long as, puzzle, as possible, but she couldn't help finishing them. When she had placed the last piece on the last puzzle, there was nothing else to do but go to bed. After she was mounting the stairs, she heard something fall through the letterbox. It gave her a shock as it was too late for the post to arrive. She poked her head out of the front door into the cold night, but there was nobody there. And when she went back inside, she found an oblong parcel wrapped in brown paper, which made a noise when she shook it. Curiously, she took, tore off the wrapping. It was a jigsaw puzzle, but there was no picture on the front. She racked her brain as to who might have sent it, but she couldn't think of anyone. And as she no longer felt sleepy, she settled down at the kitchen table to work on the puzzle. It was a tough one, with no picture to refer to, and most of the pieces were dark and unremarkable. She persevered, however, and by the early hours she was getting somewhere. And then something strange began to happen. She realized that the picture emerging in front of her eyes looked just like her very own cottage. At first she thought it was a coincidence, but with every piece she put in place, the picture became eerier. The ornaments on the mantelpiece, the 
picture of her husband. It was all too close for comfort. Something told her to stop, to leave the puzzle unfinished, but she kept finding places for the remaining pieces. And then the woman herself started to appear in the picture, sitting at the kitchen table, pouring over a jigsaw. She no longer knew if she was dreaming or awake, but still she couldn't stop. And soon the picture was almost completed. The only hole left was where the window of her cottage should be. Her hands trembled as they hovered over the remaining few pieces, moving as if they were of their own accord. One by one, the pieces found their place, revealing a man in the window, looking straight at her. As she placed the final piece, she saw the knife. And the last thing she heard was the sound of the window opening. True to form. Hey, art imitates life, right? Now, that's wicked. And you know, uh, speaking of which, um, I, I wonder if there is actually a circumstance where that could have happened to somebody. You know? Like, to build a scene like that? Hmm. Things to think about sometimes. But you know, the crazy thing is, is that when people really put themselves in these kind of kind of crazy situations but you know you gotta figure this most of this stuff is folklore it's not gonna entirely happen to you you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine you know I would like to say I'd like to let you know that <laughs> but hey guess what you know as I sit here now I try to think about like other stuff that goes on in Delaware because Delaware is one of the original 13 counties and as it is one of the original 13 colonies I want to say like there are some urban legends here, too. Now, I remember last year I was telling you guys about, like, what goes on at the Green. And, uh, the Green is one of the most dangerous areas in Delaware, which I would never suggest anybody to go to. But, um, allegedly there is, like, this, these, there's these graves there where, like, there was this very vile judge was buried at. But, you see, the thing is, as I try to look up information on it, you know, nothing's telling me anything. So I might have to go to the local public library on that <laughs> and talk to one of the um talk to one of the old ladies that work there. See what they know cuz they know a lot. <laughs> you know. And then I do know like uh there I say it, but over at the Great Cypress Swamp down there in the southern parts of Delaware, pretty much our own version of like um the swamps in Florida. We, we got Cypress Swamp. We don't need any more. Uh, well, actually, we do. It's called Slaughter Beach, but that's a different story for a different time. But, you see, uh, mm, yeah, the Cypress Swamp. A dangerous area. And to be honest with you, I think there is something that lives out there. I think there is some sort of creature somewhere swimming around in the depths, eventually coming out to eat something. And you see, at the same time, he doesn't necessarily, well, or she, whatever. I didn't take the time to look between the legs. That creature is floating around out there and doesn't really need to hunt and haunt like you would think. All that that creature would need is a giant rainstorm to occur because there's no gate railings or anything to keep you from being swallowed up in the swamp. And it pulls you right in. And then as it does pull you right in, Hopefully you got enough sense or somebody to help you get out. Or enough four-wheel drive to get that gunction moving because you're going to be stuck there for a while. Mm-hmm. You see, as I go about it, and I let you guys know these things, I'm sure you guys have some pretty haunted tales and some interesting stories to, you know, to go ahead and throw about. 
And indeed, like, you know, it's it's fun to talk about this stuff, especially during, you know, Monster Fest season. <laughs> yeah, there ain't no lightning for that right now. <laughs> but yeah, as I look at this kind of stuff, guys, you know, I think that's enough of me scaring the living hell out of you guys right now. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay, maybe one more. You know what I mean? One more to go ahead and soften the palate. Now, I might have read this one, but, uh, you know. You guys are brave enough. Y'all can take it. This one's called Frightening Food. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going, I'm going after how you eat now. All right. A woman was driving home from work and was late to pick up her children from her estranged husband. She knew that they would be hungry, but there would be no time to cook anything. So she pulled in through a drive through Mexican fast food outlet and hurriedly ordered her usual batch of burritos. When she got home, the kids devoted, devoured the food without a second thought. But one of them complained that it tastes funny. The mother told her not to be fussy and that it would be wasteful to not finish what she was given. The next morning, all of the children and their mother had terrible stomach ache, and that's and she later picked them up from school. They were all complaining of pain in their gums. When the symptoms did not ease and their gums began to bleed, they visited the family dentist who delivered some shocking news. The family were displaying the first signs of a cockroach infestation. The insect eggs had burrowed into the gaps between their teeth and their gums and were growing inside their mouths. The likely culprit was the fast food. It turned out that the Food Standards Authority had recently shut the restaurant down because of their terrible hygiene record. There were rats in the deep fryers and insects in the refrigerators. But the woman did not realize that some of the restaurant's employees had reopened the drive through to make some extra money without the boss knowing. With no rules, the kitchen had become dirtier than ever. When the Food Standards Authority raided the premises, they found one of the worst cockroach infestations they ever had seen, and the restaurant was never allowed to reopen. Woo. That's brutal, too. But I also remember I did read this one last year, and I'm going to tell you this. You can tell this one is just a story, because um, there is no way that with all this stuff going on, that the Food and Drug Administration would allow this place to even stay open you know what i'm saying well or to reopen up not without you know not without a nice health check and not only that to make sure like where the meat and all that stuff is coming into but then again if it's a privately owned company maybe there's ways around that maybe there's ways to actually twist things a little bit either way be mindful of what you eat but you know you would think that if you ate a cockroach though you know some cultures eat cockroaches and it's protein like, you know, Timon and Pumbaa weren't entirely wrong. It's slimy yet satisfying. And you're probably asking, uh, Jay, would you eat a roach? Hey, if it's the last thing here, and I put barbecue sauce on that stuff, you won't hold it against me, will you? J360 Radio! Monster Fest. It's like the story of, well, like, a ghost that walks on the boardwalk scenes at midnight. Now, I have yet to go over there at midnight. But, you know, I should go check that out and see if there's actually a ghost walking along the lines there. There's also, um, see, we just celebrated um, Indigenous Peoples Day, so I don't want to necessarily tell you the other story of why it got its name, because some of y'all probably can't handle that yet. You know, you're, you're still coming around off of the Dave Chappelle did another special and you butt hurt kind of thing. <laughs> so while we're at it, let's go on ahead and not play around in my hometown right now. Um... Or play around in my home state in general. Let's just go on ahead and visit some of the other states that are next door. I was going to actually look into California stuff, but I figured I could go ahead and do that when I start doing the shows over there. But 
Um, here's what we'll do. We'll go ahead and we'll discuss the surrounding areas such as Maryland. Like, Maryland, believe it or not, definitely has a lot with it. And I mean in terms of, like, the spooky feels, the vibes that come out of nowhere. And, like, it ain't too far from me because all I got to do is hop on, um, hop on, like, I'm not going to tell you the route number, but I know exactly where to go at to find this stuff. And when you're looking for it, it'll, it'll be there for you. Especially this one that takes place in, like, Kingsville, Maryland. It's called Jericho Covered Bridge. Now, the Jericho Covered Bridge is known as one of the top haunted places in Maryland. It is a 150-year-old covered bridge on Jericho Road that goes across the Little Gunpowder Falls. Not too far from the covered bridge is the old Quaker village of Jerusalem Mill. According to legend, the bridge is haunted by a ghostly female apparition known as the White Lady. You're supposed to drive across the bridge turn around at the dead end, and then drive back under the middle of the bridge and turn off your engine. The driver needs to honk the horn twice, and once every passenger is looking out the rear view window, the driver must place their foot on the brakes. The light from the brakes is supposed to illuminate an apparition of a crying woman dressed in Amish clothing. Many witnesses have said that their cars would also stall the moment they would try to escape from the bridge. You know what that sounds like? That actually sounds like, uh, oh god, I just said we weren't going to talk about my home state. Well, you know what? We're going to do it anyway. That actually sounds like the legend that took place over at Cooch's Bridge up there in Newark. Yeah, because allegedly, if you stop on Cooch's Bridge, you hear the sound of a fiddler playing, and then allegedly, like, you'll see, like, revolutionary soldiers come by your car, and they actually stand along with you as you... As you move across it because your car becomes their cannon, so to speak. A friend of mine named Tim actually said, like, it did happen to him as he was um, stalled on the bridge. And I was thinking this, what the hell is he doing out there at night? Especially in an area like Cooch's Bridge. Because Cooch's Bridge is pretty damn terrifying in the daytime, let alone at night. (laughs) No disrespect to the Cooches, they're good people. Just saying. But, you know, your, your, your home area is kind of, mm, it definitely is the set of a movie. But you know something, uh, uh, this whole thing about the white lady, I do understand that this this actually probably taking place. Because after a while, you'll start to realize that a lot of these legends do start to sound similar. But, yeah, that is a very, very unique looking bridge. But who has the time to actually go back around and go through the bridge like that? I mean, isn't it like a... Yeah, it's like a one air. It's like a one-way bridge, isn't it? So, well, you got to do it at night. Maybe, maybe there is some truth to it. I don't think I'm gonna go look for it though. Oh, and for those of you that actually know of the Loch Ness monster, Nessie herself. Well, guess what? Apparently, she has a cousin in the Chesapeake Bay, and her name is Chessie. So we're gonna hear about her. Chessie is a large serpent type of creature that allegedly lives in the Chesapeake Bay. Over the years, there have been many sightings of a creature without flippers or horns on its body. Most sightings describe it as a long, snake-like creature from 25 feet to 40 feet long. It is said to swim using its body like a snake to move through the water. There was a cluster of sightings in 1977, (laughs) Star Wars time, and more in the mid-1980s. A photograph of an unknown creature taken by Trudy Guthrie in 1980 was later identified as a manatee from Florida. Manatees were very unusual to see in the area. A manatee nicknamed Chessie was rescued from the Chesapeake Chili Water in October 1994 and returned to Florida, but has revisited the Chesapeake several times since then. It was photographed in the 
Patapsco River in 2010 and near the shore of Calvert County on July 12, 2011. The more recent photograph was confirmed by U.S. Geological Survey biologists. Unlike the reports of a serpentine creatures, manatees do not swim, undulating from side to side. It was reported in 1943 that two fishermen, Francis Clarman and Edward J. Ward, spotted something in the water near Baltimore. The thing was about 75 yards away from the boat, and at first it looked like they reported that it was something floating on the water. It was black, and part of it was out of the water that seemed to be 12 feet long, and it had a head about as big as a football. It shaped somewhat like a horse's head. It turned its head around several times looking in all directions. In 1982, Robert and Karen Few supposedly videotaped Chessie near Kent Island. Their video showed a brownish object moving side to side like an aquatic snake. The last notable sighting of the beast was in 1997 off of the shore of Fort Smallwood State Park, very close to shore. The legend of Chessie is very similar to that of Nessie, as I told you earlier. So does Maryland have its own sea monster, or is it just misidentification? Take a trip out to the Chesapeake Bay and look for yourself. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, much like the Loch Ness, uh, Chesapeake Bay is um, is pretty deep. And not only that, you're going to have one hell of a time looking for Chessie because that's a lot of water to cover. And dare I say it, though, it'll be a very interesting uh, assignment for me to do sometime. You know, to go ahead and take a look and see how plausible these urban legends are. And if I ever do run into Nessie, eh, chances are I probably, you know, I'm going to have to take that picture so I can get money. Come on now. I'm trying to get rich, damn it. Well, not rich, but, you know, financially free. <laughs> it's not impossible, man. I'm going to make that work. Because, I mean, like, if that's real, though, I would like to see something. Like I said last episode about the Megalodon, I just would like to see it. I don't want to be up close and be its dinner, but I would like to see it. Little things to think about. Let's see, what else do I have for you guys right now? Point Lookout. Okay, well, let's take a look. Point Lookout State Park has some, what some consider the most haunted lighthouse in America. Hey, we're Delaware. Delaware has the ghost light. What are they talking about? Uh, I'll, I'll explain the ghost light to you if you don't know about it. Uh, let's see. As the ocean, as the ocean worn ship, the Ark and Dove sailed up the Potomac River for over 366 years ago. The point later to be named Lookout seemed pristine to Maryland's first colonists. Soon, tragedy after tragedy would change the landscape. Lord Baltimore's brother, owner, and governor of the colony. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lord Baltimore's brother. Okay, about to say. Owner and governor of the county tragically died in his mid-30s. His son drowned in nearby Calvert Bay. And Virginia Indians raided Point Lookout in 1648 massacring many, many settlers. Numerous shipwrecks have haunted the point as well. Many sailors have drowned in the waves, and the sandy beach has become the gravesite to many. To prevent further disasters, in 1827, Congress ordered a small beacon light to shine the way for mariners heading into the Chesapeake Bay to the east and the Potomac River to the west. Trouble soon came to the lighthouse when its first keeper, James Davis, died on duty. Two other keepers also died while on watch. On November 11, 1862, a Union gunboat, the USS Tulip, en route from Point Lookout to Washington, D.C., exploded, claiming 57 lives. Eight mutilated and unidentified bodies washed ashore. 
During the years of the Civil War, Point Lookout became the site of Camp Hoffman, the Union's largest Confederate prison camp, housing 52,264 Confederate prisoners. Tattered convicts, tents provided little shelter, starvation and disease ran rampant, thousands died due to neglect, and even in death, their bodies will not rest in peace, or could not rest in peace, after being moved as many as three times. The remains of many a soldier laid at last in the Confederate cemetery. Mm, damn. Disaster struck again in peacetime when Point Lookout had become a popular vacation spot. With its bathing beaches and a hundred cottages, the Fenwick Inn was the height of early 19th century resort fashion. The elite summered here until a tragic fire burned the hotel to the ground in 1878. That same year, the Steamer Express broke up broke up off the coast of during a hurricane. 22 lives were lost. The legends were abundant in this historic location. Some of the claims included a ghost of a Confederate soldier could be seen running across the road during the evening. The voice of the old lighthouse keeper can be heard singing inside the lighthouse throughout the night. An apparition thought to be Ann Davis, the wife of a former keeper, had been seen wandering around in her blue dress, softly telling people, this is my house. You know, they got one time to tell me that. You understand what I'm saying? When you do this kind of stuff and you claim ownership, I'm going to do what those people in Amityville should have done and got the hell out. Just saying. But then again, I don't run, but then again, I can't necessarily punch the punch ghosts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But let's see. The ghost of the second mate of the Express, Joseph Heaney, appears and during major storms, knocking on the lighthouse door as a warning. Some have even seen his face in the window just before a storm. Ghosts of emancipated soldiers have been seen wandering the grounds day and night, and there have even been reports of phantom ships seen on the horizon at nightfall. Well, you know, like, uh, see, what I'm reading from also has the uh, address and locations of these places. But, you know, I'm not going to throw them at you yet, because <laughs> y'all don't need to be bold and daring yet. Y'all still got that whole COVID to fight through, just like me. So we'll worry about those little vacations at another time. But from what I can tell and looking at the picture of it, eh, the upkeep's pretty good for a haunted place. Mm. This one is called Blink Man in Ellicott City, Maryland. All right. The Ilchester Tunnel is located near the historic town of Ellicott, Maryland. This old B&O railroad tunnel has a little-known urban legend attached to it. The legend of the Blink Man. Not Blank Man, Blink Man. Legend has it that an old homeless man was hit and killed by oncoming train in the 19, early 1900s and now his spirit haunts the tunnel. And he was also blind. The legend says if you stand on the tracks at 11 p.m. and stare into the tunnel for an entire hour without blinking, the blink man will appear and every time you blink after he first appears to you, his ghost will get closer and closer until his eyelash brushes against your face. The constant flickering of his eyelashes on your skin. These constant butterfly kisses are said to send you into madness, driving you to rip out your own eyes in a fit of blind rage. The legend is relatively unknown by most of the younger residents, but for those who still whisper about it sometimes, called the Blink Man by his various nicknames. Peeping Tom, the Peeper, Tunnel Man, Ilchester the Molster, Molster I said, in case Mark is listening. Yeah, I'll call them out. Yeah, yeah, damn right. Are just some of the names known to be associated with the Flickercrest in Ilchester, Maryland. 
Flickerus are known to be shadow beings living on the precipitary of our vision. It has been theorized that the Ilchester Tunnel serves as a sort of interdimensional portal, and by completing the steering contest, the Flicker just is drawn out of the shadows and trapped within the beholder's field of vision. Oh, that would suck. Let's see. The legend of the Blink Man has its roots in the Great Depression and has inspired the nightmares of thousands of Ellicott City children since. It is a story that has oddly been overlooked by writers on the subject of Maryland folklore. Today, the tunnel is covered by spray paint graffiti and the symbol for the Blink Man can be found all over the rusty structure. A circle with a single diagonal line crossed through it. Really? Okay. If you leave the mark anywhere in town, the older locals are quick to remove it for safety reasons. The tunnel is off limits, but that doesn't stop the truly curious from trespassing. Police will tell you to stay away because of the obvious dangers of being struck by passing trains, but believers will tell you to stay away from the tunnel to slow the spread of the curse. I mean, this is the only paranormal case in Maryland that allegedly has fatalities attached to the urban legend because... Those stupid enough to stand on a set of railroad tracks at night for an entire hour are likely to get crushed by an oncoming freight train. But the deaths involved are enough to give the folklore some litimacy. <laughs> no, that's not me adding something in, by the way. That's pretty much the original author saying that. <laughs> yeah, like, why the hell would you stand on a set of train tracks anyway? You know what I'm saying? Even even if they say that, you know, these haven't been in use for a while, it doesn't mean that a train won't detour on that. You understand what I'm saying. At 11 o'clock p.m., you better get the hell out of the way. There ain't no way about it. But here's the thing. You got to use common sense. And um, now you do not need to wait for the blank man to show up because, honestly, he's a ghost. And to, and to be fair, time is not on his side because time has passed on from his side. So, like, if you're standing on the train tracks and it's 11 o'clock p.m. and you're just waiting, nah, something about that is a little off. Uh-uh. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't do that. But I'll tell you one thing: from what I'm seeing, it's a very beautiful tunnel. Yeah. Oh, remember when I told you guys about the blue dog? He's got an entry here too. Port Tobacco, Maryland. Oh wow. Yeah, that, that, that's him. Okay, so here we go. Many years ago, in the late 1700s, there was a soldier and his beloved dog. The soldier and the dog were the very best of companions, and this particular soldier was fairly wealthy. He and his dog lived in the Port Tobacco area of Charles County and were walking home from a local bar one night, where a couple of rugged thieves overtook him. They beat the soldier to death, killing his dog along with him. Legend says that a rock known as Peddler's Rock can be seen around the Rose Hill Manor, this is the rock that the poor soldier was thrown against, fatally wounding him. The dog was supposedly killed after his master in order to stop the beast from attacking the thieves during their very despicable attempts to rob a man of his lifelong earnings. After they murdered the unfortunate soldier, they fled the scene. Later, the two thieves returned to Peddler's Rock on Rose Hill in search of riches and a deed to a home and property that is said to have been in the possession of the now-dead soldier. When they got close to Peddler's Rock, they noticed that the soldier's body was gone and that there was a luminous, ghostly dog standing there. The dog had been black in life, but in death he appeared to have a bluish coat and glowing eyes. The men froze in their steps. They couldn't do anything but stare at the ghostly dog in front of them. The blue dog let out a howl and charged right at him. The two thieves fled in pure terror, never to return to the rock and search for the hidden or perhaps buried treasures. 
The Peddler's Rock is a large rock that is said to still be present and located on the Rose Hill Manor property. It is said to have red stains and lies on a hill that is historically known as Rose Hill, but is now more appropriately known as Blue Dog Hill due to the legend. Some speculation and different theories on the story have been told by locals throughout the years. The stories being, began being told and recorded in the late 1800s. Most of which told the story of a soldier who had just become wealthy. Others say that the man was in fact a peddler who had stolen the treasures from someone else in the area, which is why he was killed. However, whatever the true story, the legend started somehow in some way and still continues to this day. Sightings of the Blue Dog have occurred since the 1800s with the more recent and well-known sightings taking place in the 1970s. The locals of Port Tobacco claim that you can still hear the Blue Dog howling at night. Sad howls seem to emanate from Rose Hill, and the blue dog is said to hover over Peddler's Rock, guarding his, his master's treasure and possibly his remains for eternity. Some have even claimed to have been chased by the blue dog. Most people will not even go near Peddler's Rock at night and never on Halloween. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I would like to see a blue pup. You know, just go ahead and be like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> You gotta understand, I'm pretty friendly to animals. <laughs> but if it starts going ahead and trying to maul at me, then, you know, we're gonna have to change that. <laughs> you know. And this uh, next one is called, for the Maryland line up here, is called David. Shadyside, Maryland. Alright, let's see what's happening in Shadyside then. Okay, in Shadyside, Maryland, there's a legend of in Cedarhurst of a little boy who drowned in the marsh of the marina. Some say it was an accidental drowning, but others believe he was drowned by some evil person after being kidnapped. In the early 1900s, there was a little boy named David. Some stories say he was 6 years old, and others say he was 10. He was said to be a very sweet young boy who would often be seen playing in the street with his red ball. In one, story, in one version of the story, David's mom looked outside and didn't see him playing in the road, so she went out to look for him. After searching around the yard and calling for him with no reply, she became panicked and started screaming for help. And then she ran towards the marina, and she found her sweet little boy face down in the water with his red ball floating next to him. In another version, David was playing in the street, and the mother again noticed that he was gone. She searched for him and found nothing but his red ball sitting in the ditch near, next to the edge of the road. After reporting his disappearance to the local police, they formed a search party, and just as the sun was setting, David's lifeless body was found floating in the marina. Legend says that if you go to the marina after midnight... Why is it always after midnight? After midnight, you can see the little boy down by the water, or sometimes he is even seen floating in the water. The locals say that there is a cross down at the marina for David. Some teenagers have on occasion knocked over his cross, but somehow it is always upright the next day. Many say just before you see David, you will see a red ball bounce across the road, and then he will run across the road after it. It's hard to nail down exactly what arena is the correct one from this area but most of the people I talked to said it was Westport Marina hmm I don't know could it be could it be alright well you know we're not entirely done yet because I got another one for you but that to me that's that's really interesting I mean like you know a lot of that stuff that goes down now, here's the thing. We'll go ahead and do two more. Yeah, why not? It's the season. So, this one is called Glendale Hospital. Yeah! I knew we were going to get a hospital one tonight. Guess because I wrote the episode. Anyway, uh, <laughs> here we go. 
So, it takes place in Glendale, Maryland, of course. Now, here we go. This is another Great Depression-era story. So, at the height of the Great Depression in the early 1930s, a tuberculosis epidemic swept across Washington, D.C. As hospitals in the city became overcrowded and overflowed, patients were sent to hospitals in neighboring Maryland and Virginia. It became clear that a dedicated facility was needed to handle the outbreak. Glendale Hospital, built in 1934, was established to meet the needs of tuberculosis patients and to halt the spread of disease. Although tuberculosis, known as TB or consumption, had been known by medical professionals for a long time, they really didn't have a good treatment for it. Due to its high rate of contagion, people diagnosed with TB were typically isolated or even shunned. Many were sent to live out the rest of their lives in rural sanatoriums. The patient's families would frequently tell friends and neighbors that the infected relative had died rather than admit to them being put into a tuberculosis diagnosis. The preferred treatment for TB at the time consisted mainly of prolonged exposure to sunlight and fresh air. Glendale Hospital was built on a 216-acre campus of 23 buildings separated by open, expansive lawns. Rooftop garages were installed and tended by patients to encourage them to spend as much time outside as possible. Two of the buildings were used for treatment. Other buildings included those that are used as patient dormitories, nurses' residences, laundry, seclusion rooms, chapels, and morgues. The buildings are connected by a series of underground tunnels, a common feature of such sanatoriums. Wow, that would be nice. Uh, no, 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 I have a sick idea in my mind. Don't, don't, don't worry about me. Let's continue the story. Uh, in the 1940s, uh, the doctors discovered that the antibiotic, antibiotics were successful in treating tuberculosis. As antibiotics became more widely used... In the 1950s, the number of tuberculosis patients at Glendale Hospital dwindled until in 1960 it repurposed as a nursing home and a hospital for indignant patients. The facility was finally closed in 1982 due to high levels of asbestos in the buildings. It has sat abandoned since then. When the hospital closed, locals say they just opened the doors and turned the patients from the nursing home out onto the street with no money and nowhere to go. For many of the indignant, I mean, yeah, indigents, this was the only home they knew, said he would return to an abandoned building to live in squalor. Today, Glendale is condemned. People patrol the area and ticket any trespassers. Damn it. <laughs> Upper floors have caved in and the stability of the building is in question, yet there are still tales of strange things happening inside and outside of those walls. One story is called about a police officer who was patrolling the area alone. A call for backup and shots fired came across the radio. When backup arrived, they found the stunned officer standing in the building, frozen with his eyes wide open and his gun completely empty. He had seen something running towards him, and he emptied his gun as it advanced on him. Then it simply disappeared. He was in shock. The morgue is also another hot spot for activity and is located in the main hospital building. People have reported hearing gasping, calls for help, gurgling sounds, and metal banging. Apparitions have also been reportedly seen in the area. The hauntings seem to take place in the two structures closest to the road on your right, and most doors and windows have been broken out and abandoned medical equipment is scattered everywhere within the buildings. A large pack of ghost dogs have been seen roaming around the grounds at night. Some say that a dense fog precedes the appearance of the spectral canines, and there have also been stories of people seeing shadow people outside and inside the buildings. Smoke have been coming have been seen coming from the smokestack of the on-site crematorium, and people hear moaning and screaming coming from the buildings at night. People have also stated that they've heard noises such as banging and yelling coming from the hospital walls themselves, and sometimes laughter can be heard as well. 
In one legend, there is said to have been sightings of a man in a straitjacket that went insane after watching his family being murdered by an intruder while he hid in the closet. He was so overcome with the guilt that he didn't help his family, but eventually went insane and was sent to the hospital. He broke into the medication room and took a mixture of many pills to end his own life. And that is Glendale Hospital. Damn. See, well, you know, the reason why I was saying, like, that was kind of cool was because I was thinking of a movie set where there were multiple different tunnels connecting to certain areas. You know, kind of like how we would all have to live after a while if, uh, you know, like, say, like, if the surface of the Earth becomes really, really annoying, we'll have to go and do the Space Battleship Yamato thing and live within the Earth, and even then that's questionable. <laughs> you know, like, I, I was just thinking about little scenarios like that. Like, how would we all survive being trapped in mazes like that? That'd be kind of kind of interesting. But, yeah, like, you know, we just only scratch the surface about the stuff that goes on in Maryland. But that right there, my friends, is just, whew. I got a little bit of a chill from that, considering that some of that stuff is actually true. I like to think that's things that happen in those old hospital buildings, though, they're probably true to form. And we got plenty of them still standing, too. Not just that one. All right, here's another one for you. This one is called The Two Hitchhikers. So you guys ready for this one? You better be. Let's do it. A salesman driving across the highway one day saw a hitcher and decided to pick him up to relieve his boredom. After he did, he immediately regretted it because the man was large, menacing, and his questions about the salesman's business made him nervous. Ahead, he saw another hitchhiker and decided that his best bet was to pick this one, too. Especially since this one was well-dressed and very clean-cut. Now, as soon as the second hitcher got in the back seat, he pointed a gun at the two men in the front and demanded their valuables. The front-end passenger swung his arm back and smashed the robber in the head with his elbow, knocking him unconscious. Before the salesman could say anything, the large man took the gun and all the unconscious robber's possessions and pushed them back out the car. And then as he turned to the salesman, gun in hand, the salesman begged him not to hurt him, promising to do whatever the large man asked. The large hitchhiker said, relax, buddy, I'm not going to rob you. It's my day off. (laughs) And he has the gun. So now he's armed and, well, you know, he probably wouldn't be robbing the guy afterwards since he already had a good score. Right? Yeah, okay. Nah, nah, nah. That man is just as done. Just saying. Just as done. You know, there's actually this um, urban legend that does happen in Delaware. Like, um, it's like Maggie's Bridge on the other side of Camden, where like allegedly like a woman and her baby died around there. And they say if you go out there and you do like the Bloody Mary thing, and say, but instead of saying Bloody Mary like three times fast, you say like Maggie, I have your baby. Maggie, I have your baby. Allegedly, Maggie will show up. But at the same time, would you really do this? To tell a specter that you have her baby. Knowing full well how a mom would protect their child if they really give a damn. I wouldn't I wouldn't risk it. You get my drift? J360 Radio! Monster Fest. <laughs> These are not scary stories to tell in the dark. These are scary stories to tell if you dare. And the thing about it is, if you're freaking out or if you got work in the morning and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, damn it, J-Man, why'd you keep me up all night with this shotgun? Well, the whole point about it is is that you knew what you was getting into when you saw me talking about this. 
And you didn't see me talking about it because it's not a visual medium right now. It will be eventually, though. Anyway, the first story we're going to read tonight is called Under the Bed. A husband and wife were on vacation together. They checked into their hotel room in the morning and went out for the rest of the day. When they got back to the room, though, they noticed a strange smell. The smell was so bad that they had trouble sleeping. They complained to the hotel manager, but he said there was nothing he could do. So all the other rooms were taken. And then they tried to ignore the smell. Well, because they had to deal with it. But each night it got worse and worse, and by the third night they couldn't sleep at all. They told the manager to come to the hotel himself, come to the hotel room himself, and see how bad the smell was. When the manager smelled the room for himself, he said it would need to be cleaned right away. He didn't know what was causing it, but he sure hoped that would help. The cleaning people vacuumed and scrubbed all around the room, but the smell didn't go away. Then they lifted up the bed to clean beneath it, and what they saw made them all scream. A rotten, dead body. You know, the thing about this, this one was actually true. You know, because there was a couple that was vacationing in Hawaii, and you know that that smell got worse and worse every time. And then they looked underneath. It wasn't even underneath the bed. This is underneath the bed, but this real story was actually in the box spring, and it was a prostitute that was laying there, decayed with bone marrow and all this stuff, and then maggots all over it. It was like... This was definitely done by a professional. Because, like, the shape of it and all that stuff was just still preserved in the plastic. But, yeah, this actually did happen. So, you know, the next time you go on a hotel vacation and stuff, really smell the room and make sure that there ain't no dead body up in there. Because, you know, like, when I go on vacation, I actually do take a look underneath to see if there ain't anything in that box spring. (laughs) No, for real, I do. That's all I need. It's bad enough if there's a bad smell in there. And nobody used the bathroom. Now, this next one is called Click Click. Rose, Brenda, and Yan were sisters. They lived in a small house with their mother. She always got home late from work. Most nights, they spend time together in the kitchen until she got home. The only other way in and out of the kitchen was through a door to the hallway. There was a lot of crime in their town, so they always kept that door locked until their mother got home. One night, they were waiting for her when they noticed the door handle twist. Like someone was trying to open it from the other side. Mama, Rose asked, but there was no reply. Uh, let's pretend we're having a party, Jan said. If we make a lot of noise, maybe we can scare them away. The three sisters talked real loud and clanged pots and pans together, but whoever was on the other side of that door kept trying to get in. Then the door handle stopped twisting. For a moment there, the sisters thought that the person on the other side must have left. That's when they heard a different sound. Click, click. Click, click. They all realized what it was. Now, the person in the hallway was switching the lights on and off, on and off for no reason. It seemed like whoever it was wanted to scare them. Jiang called the police, but the police in their town usually took a long time to show up. They were always busy with other crimes. The sister's mother wouldn't be home for another two hours. They couldn't wait that long. If the person in the hallway was crazy, they might try to break through the door, and it wasn't a very sturdy door, and they might be able to if they tried hard enough. The sisters tried to come up with a plan. As they were talking, the noise continued. Click, click 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 finally they decided to grab the sharpest knife they could and run into the hallway they thought if they ran in there all at once they could scare away whomever was on the other side of the door each sister lined up by the hallway door brenda was the oldest so she went first 
They, she opened the door and ran into the hall. All the sisters screamed and held up their knives high to make it look like they were even scarier than what they were. The light was off, and it was almost pitch black in the hallway, but each sister could see the dark shape of a man running up to the attic stairs. They didn't follow him. Instead, they waited outside for the police. When they finally showed up, one of the officers went inside to check the house. When he came back, he said he didn't find anyone. There was just one clue, an open window up by the attic. Oh my god. Yo. Oh my god, that that's that's pretty damn freaky right there, isn't that? <laughs> Sheesh. You know, there's a lot to that, man. <laughs> Just saying that right now. Like, could, could you imagine though? I mean, like, see the thing with me is, I don't think I'd have a knife. I think I'd be sitting there with a gut yeah. I'm gonna have to pop you. I mean, if anything else like that, because I don't, I don't trust that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm already scary enough by the way I am, but that, that, ugh. Ooh, I, I, I can't, man. I can't. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. This one is called Footsteps. My mother's family didn't have a lot of money when she was growing up. They all lived together in a small house. Everyone had to take turns sleeping in the attic. It was dark and scary up there. The person who lived in the house before them had killed himself in the attic. But there wasn't enough space in the other rooms. On this night, it was my grandmother's turn. She had been asleep for almost an hour when one of my aunts called up there. Mama, are you okay? She asked. Yes, everything is fine, my grandmother called back. Why? I heard footsteps, my aunt said. I thought you couldn't get to sleep. I've been asleep the whole time, my grandmother said. You must be hearing things. It was an old house. They always heard a lot of strange noises like that. My grandmother started to go back to sleep. She almost dozed off when something else woke her. The sounds of footsteps on the other side of the attic. They were heavy, like a man's. They kept getting closer to her, slowly but surely. My grandmother didn't know what to do. If she tried to run, there was no way she could escape in time. The footsteps got closer until they stopped right in front of her. It was too dark in the attic for her to see anything. After a moment, she heard the sound of a man laughing. The sound came from the spot where the footsteps stopped. The man laughed and laughed and didn't seem to stop. My grandmother was terrified. There was no chance she could get away now. She was a very religious woman, so the only thing she could think to do was pray. It seemed like she prayed for hours. Finally, the laughter stopped. She heard some more footsteps, then a creaking noise, and after a few moments, she found the courage to turn on the light. There was no one there. But my grandmother did see something else that scared her. The floor of the attic was always pretty dusty, and in the dust she saw a large set of footprints. Ooh, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know what? I had this dream one time, like somebody did a creepy laugh, and it was in a dark room, and I was there. And the thing is, I did the J-Man laugh. You know, you know a lot of y'all hear my laugh all the time. But then I did it in such a way, it scared the living hell out of him, and he fell out the window. That's a low one. Don't don't even think about it. But you see, the point about it is, is that you know, if you need to, you can really return that on some other people and get the get them the hell out of your way if you have to. You know what I mean? Yeah, just little things to think about. Actually, you guys ready for this one? This one is called the side of the road. All right. Now, I don't know if I read this one already, but once again, like I said, you know, feel the vibe. 
This might actually be a decent story. It might be a happy-go-lucky tale, you know? It, it might be. So let's go on ahead with this. A husband and wife, Fred and Karen, oh boy, were driving down a dark mountain road one night. It was a curvy road and a lot of people got in accidents there. As they were driving, Karen saw a woman standing on the side of the road. She had a lot of blood on her. Fred drove right past her, though. Did you see that, Karen asked? See what, Fred replied. That woman back there. I didn't see anyone, he said. It was very dark and Karen was very tired, but she knew what she saw. She told Fred to turn around and drive back. The woman looked like she was hurt and needed help. When they got back to the spot, there was no woman there. Karen and Fred parked on the side of the road and got out to look for her. There was a steep hill next to the road, and Karen saw a wrecked car at the bottom of it, and she and Fred climbed down to get a better look. They must have driven off the road, Karen said. When they looked in the car, the woman Karen had seen was in the driver's seat. She was dead. Next to her was a little boy. He didn't say a word, but he was still alive. Fred and Karen called 911 and told them what they had found. When the doctors got there, they said it looked like the boy hadn't eaten in days, and he would have died in only a few hours if they hadn't found him. I guess the woman must have found a way to crawl out and get up to the road, she said. Karen uh, said she must have been trying to get help. Maybe she went back to the car after she saw us check on the boy. That's impossible, a doctor told her. This woman has been dead for at least three days. Now, you know, that's wild as hell, isn't it? Could you imagine, though? Like, for real. He <laughs> only got one time, man. Like, that, that's creepy enough. Jesus. <laughs> Makes you wonder sometimes about some of these things. Oh, man. Like, like you know, at the end of the day, you, you see, like... Oh, man, I don't know which one's worse. The ones that are, like, you're in a quiet spot, like an attic or something... Or then, like, when you're riding out there in public, and it's like no one's around you to see any of this. And then you see things that are mysterious. It's kind of like last time when I was reading about Maggie's baby. Remember Maggie's bridge? And then, like, you know, you say, like, Maggie, I have your baby, and then Maggie will show up. That's wild. It's, it's just little things like that. Anyway, I got enough time for one more story, so here we go. This one is called Scratching Sounds. Oh, wow, this deals with college. I think, uh, I think I've probably read something similar to this before. But you know what, though? I think it'll probably give you a pretty good impact. Here we go, yes. Beth and Ann were college roommates. That night, most of the other students were away. It was almost time for the holiday break. And when they had gone home, both Beth and Ann both had a few more tests to take before they could leave. Usually the building was filled with other students. Most of the time it was a lot of fun. But that night, with so many people gone, it was a little scary. Beth and Ann got along well, though, and told jokes and stories to help each other relax. After that, they decided to watch some TV. Well, they're already in trouble. TV's not good for you. When they turned on the TV, there was a special news report on an insane killer had escaped from a nearby prison. The report said that anyone living in the area should be extra careful and lock all their doors. There's nothing to worry about, Beth said. That prison isn't really that close, and there's no reason a killer would head this way anyway. Ann agreed, but they both decided it would be a good idea to lock the door just in case. They put on a funny TV show and tried to forget about the whole thing. A little later, Beth started to feel hungry. She asked Ann if she wanted to get some food with her. No thanks, Ann said. I'm getting a little tired. Will you be okay alone? I'll be fine, Beth said. The killer won't come anywhere near the college, but just to be safe, lock the door behind me. I'll bring my key to let myself back in. Okay, Ann said. An hour passed and Beth hadn't come back yet. She's probably just saw someone she knew, Ann told herself. I'm sure she's fine. 
Anne was a little worried but decided to go to sleep. She was sure that Beth would be back when she woke up. But it didn't happen. Instead, Anne awoke in the middle of the night to a strange sound outside her door. Beth was still gone. It sounded like some sort of animal scratching at the door trying to get in. Anne sat there in fear. Go away, she finally shouted, but whatever it was at the door kept scratching at it. After what felt like hours, it finally stopped. There was a thudding sound, like something heavy being dropped on the floor. Anne waited for a few moments, and when she got up enough courage, she walked slowly to the door and opened it. Beth was in the hallway, lying in a pool of blood. Someone had stabbed her to death, but she didn't die right away, because along the door were scratch marks, and Beth's nails were worn down. It looked like she had been scratching at the door, trying to get in. You know something, uh, <laughs> when it gets right down to like um, those, these college kind of stories, they really make you wonder because like, there I say, like usually colleges are actually, no, no they're not, no they're not because I used to be on dorm life. You could get in if you really wanted to. I was trying to go ahead and alleviate and try to say things were safer, but I'm not going to lie to you because I don't lie, but the truth is, is like, uh-uh. <laughs> That's a bit much. I don't miss dorm life at all now that I think about it. I don't. Let's see. Do I have enough time for one more? Okay, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, let's go have one more. Why not? It's a 45-minute show, you know? Let's see, the elevator. Sandra lived in the city. One night, she got back to her apartment building very late. She lived on the fifth floor. As she stepped into the elevator, a man rushed behind her shouting, Wait, hold the elevator, please. She held the door open until the man got in. He thanked her and pressed the button for the fourth floor. Now, Sandra didn't know him, but there were a lot of people in the building she never met. He looked like a nice person, and they talked for a few moments as the elevator made its way to the top of the building. At the fourth floor, the man got out and said, Have a nice night, Sandra said. The man turned to look back at her and said, I'll see you on the fifth floor, he said. Sandra blinked and didn't know what he meant, but then she saw it. The man was holding a sharp, bloody knife. He grinned at her like a crazy person, then darted to the stairs as the elevator doors closed. Sandra didn't have time to run. The doors closed in front of her. Her building was old, and there was no button to stop the elevator. And then it started moving up to the fifth floor. You know something? I like to think that Sandra actually put up a good fight, and that she actually held her own and chose life to battle against that insane man. But I'd be wrong. So, you know, as I go about telling you that, uh, I hope that you all do sleep tight <laughs> and that you all wrap yourselves up really, really nice and all. Because, like, this stuff ain't going to happen to you. You're going to be fine. Ain't nothing going to kill you and all that jazz. You, you know, ain't nobody really looking at you like you a piece of meat and trying to go ahead and wipe you out. Because you know that ain't going to happen to you, right? You're going to be okay. I, I, no, you can't guarantee my word on that. <laughs> Hell no, you can't. But, you know, it's little things like that, though. Like, just be aware of where you live at and all that jazz, and you're going to be fine. You know, you're, you're going to be fine. Just saying. Because, uh, like I said, I'm not liable for, like, if you freaking out all the time and stuff. All right, look. Here's one that I haven't read to you guys. This is something that is actually pretty light. So let this be the last story then. I'm trying to find you guys a nice light one so you can get a little sleep in. Alright, this is called The Clown. Yeah, oh boy, good good picture. Alright. It was Becca's first time babysitting for her neighbors, the Johnsons. 
The night started out easy. The two girls she was watching were well behaved. They went to sleep as soon as Becca arrived. She decided to watch some TV while she waited for her neighbors to get back. The bigger TV was down in the basement. But when Becca looked down there, she saw a large clown statue in the corner of the room. It scared Becca, and she decided to watch TV upstairs instead. About an hour later, Mr. Johnson called to ask how things were going. Everything's fine, Becca said. I'm just watching TV right now. Feel free to use the bigger TV down in the basement if you want, said Mr. Johnson. She said, I would, but that big clown statue you have down there is too scary for me. Mr. Johnson was silent for a moment, and finally he said, We don't have a clown statue. Get the girls out of the house and call the police. Becca did as she was told, and when the police got there, they found an insane man dressed as a clown in the basement. He'd recently escaped from the nearby prison, and he had been sent there for killing a babysitter. Damn! Okay, you know, me finding a light story for you guys, it ain't gonna happen, especially tonight in the middle of the Monster Fest. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you think about it. That, that, that clown must have done this before. Well, obviously he has. But, damn, did he do it in the same house? Is that how she got the job? See, it's little things like that that make me wonder. J360 Radio Monster Fest. Speaking of anthologies, though, it's time to go ahead and do some nightmare tales. And I know a lot of y'all are excited about that. And I found one that was pretty, pretty reaching out for a lot of y'all out there who are trying to jump into the dating scene. This one is called Speed Dating. I attended a speed dating event with my friend Mindy. I think I found someone she gushed to me during one of the breaks. I felt a twinge of jealousy. So far, the best contender I found was a Nick Beard who smelled strongly of pickles, who was also a liar. What about you, she asked. Some dumb guy who claims that he can make six digits as a life coach. I said, I can't stand liars, but anyway, which one is yours? She lifted a red lacquered nail and pointed. A lanky man leaned against the bar. Long, dark hair slicked back. A black button up top. A garish metal ring on his middle finger. Him, I asked. She nodded enthusiastically. He did not look like Mindy's usual type. She was the kind of woman who went for the safe bets. The office nerds who called their mom every day. The grad students working on boring papers like an analysis of courtship in the 19th century literature. Not some half-golf, half-motorcycle rider. His name's Mika and he's incredible. Do you know what he told me? She lowered her voice. He said, I'm the prettiest girl here. And then I frowned. Another liar. And he works at Goldman Sachs. That guy works at Goldman Sachs? Definitely a liar. She nodded. I scoffed. I didn't know they hired goths. And then she said, what? He's not a goth. He totally is. The ring, the long hair, the black shirt. Wow, get a little stereotyping in this story, huh? What? His hair is short. I don't understand. Ding, ding, ding. Before I could reply, the event coordinator rang the bell, signaling that the second half was about to begin. I made my way back to my little table on the other side of the room from Mindy, which I was now thankful for, and took a sloppy gulp of wine. Wow, she's a keeper. Hello. I looked up, and across from me sat Mika. He was even more weirdly dressed up close. The first button of his shirt was undone, showing a gratuitous tuft of chest hair. His hands shone in the lights as if mildly greasy. Somehow, though, he was still kind of attractive, like those fries that have been sitting in your refrigerator for a week. And even though they're all soggy and gross, all you want to do is eat them as fast as you can. Damn, she's got problems. I'm Amanda, I said. Mika. So, uh, Mika, what do you do? 
What don't I do? He said under his breath with a condescending laugh. Uh, sorry. Nothing. I-I-I-I'm an artist. He's lying to her. I knew it. An awkward silence fell between us. Finally, I started. So, uh, Mika, what do you like to do for fun? He grinned. Wider than I'd seen him grin all night. He then leaned in close, lowered his voice to a whisper, and said, I'll tell you exactly what I do for fun. Okay. I like to go riding at night, under the light of the full moon, with just the wind at my back and the stars above me. On a motorcycle? You could say that. Yes. Weird reply, but okay. I ride into town, see if there's any fun to be had. He made eye contact with me. See if there's any other speed dating events, for example. So you do this often, I said, not sure exactly where he was going. Have you met anyone you like? Of course. Lots of beautiful girls at these events. Then why are you still looking? He smiled again, leaned in even closer until I could smell the musty, greasy smell of his hair. Because I killed them all. My heart stopped. Excuse me? You know... You're the first woman I've ever met on here who likes an honest man. It's refreshing, actually, he said with a smile. I stared at him, open mouth. I, I don't understand. You're saying you killed... Ding, ding, ding! He stood up. Nice meeting you, Amanda. Then he was gone. The next guy sliding into his seat. I'm Frank and you are... I shot up and whipped around, ran to the organizer and said, That guy, Mika, he just told me he killed some women. I, I need you to know... She raised an eyebrow. What? Oh no. My eyes fell on the seat across the room. The empty seat. Where Mindy had been sitting before. No, no, no. I ran out of the bar onto the sidewalk into the cold. But the streets were covered with people. Drunk couples. Rouches. Partygoers. Mindy, I shouted. No reply. An hour later, I was at the station reporting it to the police. I tried. I really did. But every woman at the event gave a different description of what Mika looked like. Some described him as a tall, muscular black man with a velvetly smooth voice. Hey! Uh, others described him as a freckled red hair that had an amazing sense of humor. Still others described him as a bearded lumberjack man. Their descriptions only had one thing in common. He was their type. And the men, they didn't even report seeing any Mika at all. Mindy was eventually found. Her body was found in the forest at the edge of town but not before her blood had been used to paint a crude landscape on the concrete drainage pipe near the lake. I guess Mika, for me, really was an honest man. Wow, you know that was pretty damn scary, I tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, look, see, when it comes to dating, dating in general can be a risk. But when it comes to speed dating at times, you never know when they pop up in there and they tell you what they got to do for their pitch for that few seconds or so. And then as soon as you get that, you should know about them red flags because it's open to anybody. I remember seeing a movie about that. I wonder, didn't this seem like this occur in Valentine now I think about it? I think it probably did, but there was no killing happening there. But hey, be mindful of these people that you go ahead and do these things to. Not saying that you should never date anybody. I'm saying just be aware. You understand? But then again, a strong black man with a velvety voice. <laughs> I didn't even know I was in the story. I hope I get royalties. I need the gross. <laughs> Let's see what else we got for you guys on the itinerary. You know, it's a wild thing, man. 
like when it gets right down to this kind of stuff. This one is called Security Questions. What is your name? Adam Liu. I will want to close my American Express Gold card. I said hurriedly onto the phone. The train left in 20 minutes, but I needed to get the account closed before they charged me that damn annual fee. Okay, we just need to verify your identity, the woman. Oh, wow, it's a woman. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, she smokes a lot of cigarettes, the woman said. I'm going to ask you a few security questions, okay? Okay? What's your current address? XX Hyacinth Court. And your mother's maiden name? Greenberg. Thank you for that, Mr. Liu. We just need to ask you a few more questions to verify you. First, of which of the following addresses you lived at? Redacted, Maple Avenue, Redacted, Emory Circle, Redacted, 5th Street, or none of the above? None of the above. Oh, these security questions, the weird multiple choice ones that you actually didn't ever pick. I sighed into the phone and checked the clock. 8-12, 16 minutes ago. Okay, what security system do you use? Have you used in the past ADT, Ring Alarm, Adobe, or none of the above? None of the above. A pause. I heard what sounded like papers shuffling on the other end. Then, how tall are you? 5'9", 6 feet, or blank? Listen. Hold up. How many questions are you going to ask me? I just want to close my account. I have to catch a train. Okay, one last question, the woman said. Her voice took a smooth, soft quality, as if she was smiling on the other end. Are you a gun owner? Uh, no. Thank you. We have verified your identity. Her voice suddenly grew chipper, excited. Okay, so I'd like to close my account. I said, 821. Damn it, I'm going to miss it. That's not possible, Mr. Liu. You can't cancel my card? Why not? A pause. I can't cancel your account, Mr. Liu, because I don't work for American Express. What? It's a common mistake, Mr. Liu. American Express is... Five two eight four eight zero zero. You dialed five two nine four eight zero zero. I I don't understand. Do you know how many people misdial American Express's phone number? Hundreds per day, and those people tend to just be what we're looking for: wealthy and dumb. I don't. They'll be there in a minute. You can make it easy on yourself and leave the house, or you can stay and fight. But I don't think the odds are good, Mister Lou. They have guns, and you don't. A pause, and then her peppy voice continued. Anything else I can help you with, Mr. Liu? I thank you for calling. We do hope you have a wonderful day. Click. I pulled the phone away from my ear, just in time to see a shadow flit across the curtains. Hello? I called as I took a step back, heart beginning to pound. Hello? Thump, thump. Then a man. Just a glimpse of him, running by, wearing all black, completely with a cap over his head, dashing madly past my window. I backed away. Click, click. The locks turned and clicked. Heavy footsteps at the back door. I turned on my heel and ran. Threw open the front door, ran as fast as I could through the front yard until the cold stung my lungs and legs were weak. Then I pulled out my phone and called the police. They came too late. The house was ransacked. I was missing my TV, almost $1,000 in cash, and my iPad. I reported it all to the officers and told them about the phone number. And when we called it, we only heard beep, beep, beep. The number you have dialed is no longer in service. They left, then I sat in my silence, my mind reeling. Then I got on my computer, an old half-broken thing. No wonder it wasn't stolen and wrote this post. To warn you, there are hundreds of different ways you can misdial 528-4800. Whoever these people are jump from number to number pretending to be American Express. They ask security questions to get information out of you, to rob you blind or worse. Don't fall for it. 
The next time you pick up the phone, don't answer any strange security questions. Yeah, true to form. I mean, they're still trying hard to get a lot of us nowadays. Especially now with this whole pandemic stuff, you know? Or post-pandemic. Nah, it's still going on, but, like, things have gotten a little bit more manageable. But, yeah, like, uh, this, this one here hits close to home because have you ever, like, had a moment where, you know, you're just sitting there chilling and all of a sudden you get a call and then you answer that phone and then you're like, yeah, this, this, I've never seen this number before. And then you're, like, hesitant to answer. It'd be like, hey, hello? And then it's somebody over there that's like, hey, yeah, and they're all professional sounding at first. And then there's people that go as far as to dig at you on anything. And then there's times where they bleep out where they work at. You know what I'm saying? This stuff is creepy. Like, when you when you go through it and you get, like, robocallers like that, it, it can be pretty damaging. Because I remember, like, when I was unemployed, right? Like, really unemployed and I couldn't even do... This, this is, like, before I really got serious with J360. But, like get these callers coming in and they start telling you like oh yeah we we have jobs opened up we have all that stuff until i started really asking them questions you know what i mean and i asked them enough questions to the point where they melt down and they ran away but yeah this is uh true to form it really hits close to home so you gotta watch yourself on that sort of thing oh boy oof oof Shuddering at thought of it. And speaking of weird messages, I just got one and I had to look at that for a little bit. <laughs> oh boy. Isn't it amazing how you can bring that stuff out true to form? It's and I'm just wondering this. How could somebody that's over in the awesome country of Zimbabwe need my American dollars to help bring their life back together? You understand what I'm saying? They're talking about like how they're the son of a CEO and they really, really need my help. Now, if I was crazy enough to fall for something like this, which I hope none of you are, how do I know if my money is going into the right bank account? You know, little things like that. And if anything, I should go ahead and write a response talking about how, you know, I'm the son of a billionaire and... You know, he cut me off, and I need all my money back. So could you uh, loan some of your winnings to me? You know what I'm saying? And then that way it could probably line my pockets up, and then I could go ahead and make some more J360 TV content. That would be wild. Figured I'd tell you all that little story. But anyway, let's see what else we got on the itinerary. Oh, I'm not reading that one to you. Not reading that one. Yeah, I don't think I'll be reading that one. <laughs> There's quite a lot of wild stuff, though. But hey, hold on a second. There's something in that corner right quick. I'll be right back. Alright, we're good, we're good. No worries, no worries. J-Man's alright. Though I had to see that corner uh, right there with that... Oh, it's just my jacket. What the hell am I looking at? <laughs> Sometimes I get so into these stories, guys. I mean, like, you never know if these things start looking at you from time to time. And I'd be like, what the hell? So it's like little moments like that. But I think I got a pretty nice one here for you guys. Because I was seeing what it was. And this one is called the Baby Monitor. So any of you guys got kids out there, this will probably... <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Brace yourself. 
I got you something. John reached into the bye-bye baby bag and pulled out a sleek white box. A baby monitor, one of the fancy video ones. My 3 a.m. visits to the nursery starting to bother you, huh? I asked with a smirk. Eh, maybe a little. I think this will help us both sleep better. I glanced down at the mug in my hands, my fourth cup of coffee. All right, let's do it. We set it up in the nursery that night, and I pointed my camera right at the crib and placed a monitor on my nightstand. I fell asleep watching the black and white video feed of our son, gracefully sleeping with his face in a puddle of drool and his butt in the air. Aww. Thump. I jolted awake. I grabbed the monitor. The feed showed James sleeping peacefully, butt still in the air, but now in a bigger puddle of drool. I smiled, rolled over, and fell back into a deep sleep. That next night, as John and I were getting ready for bed, I asked him about it. Last night, I heard a weird sound from James's room. Oh no, you think we have mice again? Oh, I didn't think about that, I turned to him. Maybe I should sleep in there tonight just in case. I wouldn't want mice to get into the crib or you have the monitor hunt. But maybe if I was right there... <sighs> Come on, Carrie, he's over a year old. He needs his own room. The monitor is to help you work through this. Work through what? Yeah, see, if a woman takes a coarse tone with you like this, that's the perfect time to be like, mm, we gonna leave it alone. But, <laughs> work through what? The anxiety. Anxiety? Is that what you call concern for our child's well-being? He fell into it. I didn't mean it like, uh, good night, I said sharply and pulled the covers over me. I woke again at 3.21 a.m. Instinctively, I reached for the baby monitor. The blue light blinded me in the darkness. I waited for my eyes to adjust, but there was my little man, facing away from the camera, little tufts of hair sticking every which way, sleeping peacefully. I set the monitor back down in the nightstand and closed my eyes. Click. My eyes flew open. James was facing towards me now. Eyes closed peacefully, puffy little cheeks pushing into the mattress. Just go to sleep. He's fine. Stop checking him. Maybe John has a point. I forced my eyes closed. He's fine. The fog of sleep filled my mind, melting my thoughts into dreamy nonsense. He's fine. 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 Thump! He's fine. Don't check on him. Just go to sleep. Just go to... What? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I don't have any voice actors right now, so I gotta kind of do this on my own. But a loud cry came through the wall. Then the monitor. A second later, my eyes flew open. James laid in the same position, but despite the cries coming from the nursery, his mouth was closed. What the hell? I leaped out of bed. I stumbled across the hall. I grabbed the doorknob and yanked it open, running blindly into the room. James was lying in the crib, crying his lungs out, and a dark figure was leaning over him. Get away from him, you bitch! Hey, aliens. I ran to the crib. The figure darted across the room and in an instant slipped out the window. I grabbed James out of the crib and I held him tight against my chest. James, James, are you okay? Carrie, John, John came stumbling in. Call the police, I shouted. Someone was in here. As I held James tight against me, something caught my eye. The baby monitor camera. It's red light blinking in the darkness. There was something propped up in front of it. A piece of paper. I reached out and turned it over. No. It was a photo of James sleeping peacefully in his crib. See, the thing about that is, with home invasion like that, once again, I know how a lot of y'all feel about guns, but I'm going to have to pop somebody for that. That's getting too damn close to, you know, me and mine. It's not only that, but it's close to where I sleep at night. Can't have people breaking in your house doing that kind of stuff. It's just like that story I read about that homeless person, you know, shacking up in somebody's house 
like because they left the door open and that person walked right in there, managed to make a home in the cubby door, and able to come in and come out at will to you know live off of you. More or less like a parasite on an animal, and it's like it's it's wild that this stuff happens. This story right here actually did happen to a couple at at some point where they would go ahead and do this wild stuff and people on there sitting in I don't know why they go after the kids I mean but it's just it's odd that this stuff happens you know what I mean and a lot of uh, a lot of you parents out there so you gotta make sure you do what you gotta do to protect you and yours but this guy would not have escaped me you understand what I'm saying it just ugh, just I, I can't oh that one kind of that that kind of scared me I don't have any kids but let's see if it messes with any of my nephews out there. Oh, yeah. Okay, this one is called... Mm, I don't know, because, you know, can you guys really handle another story right now? Eh, it's my special, why not? And besides, I gotta make up for that time when I went on that commercial break. I'm telling you, my clothes sitting up there in a, in a corner like that, that was pretty damn scary. <laughs> you know? But I don't know if I'll read this one to you, because that really hits close to home. This one is called Lime Green Paint. My boyfriend and I are in a long-distance relationship. To make, to make up for it, we Skype all the time. We're on one of these late-night video calls when it happened. Steve stopped mid-sentence and said, Ray, what's that behind you? I turned around and there was nothing behind my chair but a blank wall. What are you talking about? The crack in the wall. Harry's going to have a fit. There's nothing wrong with the wall. Oh, really? You don't see that huge crack spanning your entire wall? I turned around again, and all I saw was that ugly lime green wall. Harry the landlord painted all the apartments in the building like that. All the walls white except for the one blinding lime green accent wall in the main room. No, I don't see it. I sigh and said in my most seductive voice, Can we get back to what we were doing? Uh, maybe it's a glitch or some dirt on your camera? I sighed. Check your webcam. Fine. I clicked on the tiny image of myself in the corner and filled the screen. I froze. Whether it was dirt or a glitch, I couldn't tell, but there did appear to be a jagged, thick black line running through the lime green paint. That's so weird. I rubbed my camera, but it didn't go away. I hung up and re-entered re the call, but it didn't go away. It looks bigger now, he said. What? At the beginning, it was just a thin crack. Now it looks like two inches wide. Okay, but can we talk about something else now? But it's so weird. As we continue talking, Steve's eyes stayed fixed just over my shoulder the entire time. I tried to ignore it. So Mary said, what are you doing here at the salon in the middle of the night? And I said, right behind you! What? But I didn't have to ask. As my eyes glanced to the small camera feed in the corner, I saw the crack behind me was wide. Much wider than before and four fingers were poking out. I got up and ran out of the apartment down the stairs, swung the door open, leapt into the cold night. As I tried to collect myself, I looked up at the apartment building and saw a dark shadow fitted by and from behind the sheer curtains on the third room floor room. I pulled out my phone and I called the police. I found out a few days later that someone on the third floor went missing that night, a young guy named Charlie Haywood. After a few days of searching, they found his body inside the wall. Yet there was no damage to the wall at all. And the body they found, though it matched Charlie's body by DNA, was in a severe state of decomposition. He was a little more than a skeleton, even though he only disappeared a few days ago. And there's the other thing. As the police continued their investigation, they found out that the ugly lime green paint Harry used 
wasn't just paint. It was laced with some sort of weird chemical that even the scientists had trouble identifying. And Harry? He disappeared the night the body was found. Ooh ho ho ho! Yo, do y'all even know what your landlord does after you pay him? You know, you, you, you try to make sure you keep the building maintained and the maintenance just right. But that right there. Oh, my God. So make sure you take a look at the cracks in the walls and stuff. Because there could be a couple of bodies and some friends in there. Not to mention some other people that were probably annoying in the neighborhood. But you can tell, like, that annoyance there was uh, what really kept it all together. Because you never know what could be in the cracks of your walls now. Security deposit my ass. Matter of fact, I should go ahead and look around at the cracks in my uh, area. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Could be somebody in there. Might be me. Past life me. Yeah. I'm just messing around. But yeah, old Harry, uh, he's putting in some extra work. I tell you, though, it's it's just, um, you know, I, there's a movie that's like this, too. Well, several. But this movie here, it's called 13 Cameras. Y'all should check that out sometime. And while you're at it, like, check out the sequel, 14 Cameras, too. But, man, this is true to form here. So, you know, like certain times when I do these nightmare tales, I like to go ahead and take it to that avenue. But, uh, you know, if some of y'all stay up late because of it, um, I would say I'm not liable. But, I don't know, maybe I'm liable for this one. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, let's see. Do we have enough for one more story? Yeah, I think we do. This one is called My College Roommate. Last fall, I started college. I hated it. The classes were hard, the people were cold, and I had a hard time making friends. Yeah, that sounds like freshman year. And then there was Addison. Addison was my roommate. We were randomly assigned by computer, and it couldn't have been more obvious. We had nothing in common. I was nerdy, self-conscious, tall girl that frequented the computer labs. She was a blonde, petite softball player that spent her Saturday nights partying and her Sunday mornings in church. She was friendly enough. When we both happened to be in the room at the same time, she'd say hello. And then sometimes she'd borrow my shampoo, without asking, of course. And sometimes I'd borrow one of her fancy-smancy granola bars in retaliation. Generally, things were okay, even though they weren't great. Until the night of October 19th, I got back late from an engineering class as I felt the chill leave my cheeks in the warm hallway of our dorm. I heard a scream from our room, Addison. Then, I, then she yelled, No, get out! I ran to the door, shoved my key into the lock, and I thought I was about to stumble on an attempted rape. Addison didn't exactly hang out with the best crowd, and she had a posse of frat guys that followed her like bees after honey. Addison, are you okay? She was alone, just laying there, crumpled on the bed all by herself. When she heard me, she whipped around in surprise. Oh, sorry, I must have fallen asleep, she said. She sat up and stretched. Sorry, what, what were you saying? No, I, I heard you yelling. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I must have been talking in my sleep. I haven't done that since middle school. She let out a little giggle. Sleeping. Mm. My eyes fell on the bed where her phone lay. It was mid-call with someone. I could see the little picture icon on the screen. See the number timing and the length of the call. Were you on the phone with somebody? No, I was asleep. I stared at her. Um, okay. I decided not to press it. Maybe it's just a fight with a hometown boyfriend or something. Or her parents. But then why did she say get out? No one was in the room with her. The next week went by without anything too exciting. My classes got a bit harder. I spent more and more time over at the engineering school. 
Every night by the time I got back to the dorm, Addison was already asleep, and I could hear her light snores coming from across the room. I see her cross necklace dangling from the jewelry hook on her dresser. On Friday night, I got home a little earlier than usual. I didn't have a problem set due until Tuesday, so I figured I'd just relax a bit. So as I walked down the hallway, it was dead silent, the lights flickering overhead, and I felt a chill course through my body. I have never seen the building this empty. I immediately shook my head trying to extinguish the thought. There's nothing wrong with a dorm being empty on Friday night. People go into town, hang out with their friends. Some even take trains into the city for the weekend. <clears throat> the lights flickered again. And besides, there's probably some people here. They're, they're just sleeping on the computer or something. Yeah, okay. My footsteps softly thumped across the carpet. The gold 21 screwed to our door came into view, and I pulled out my key with a jingle, and I twisted them into the lock. I twisted the doorknob. The room was dark. Addison out partying as usual, I thought to myself with an eye roll. I set my backpack down against my dresser, unhooked my bra and climbed into bed. I pulled out my phone, scrolled through Reddit, sent off a text to my mom. The silence remained, the minutes ticked by, and I realized I haven't heard a single sound in about 20 minutes. My heart began to pound. A prickly, uncomfortable sensation crept up my arms, up my neck. Something is wrong. Something is very wrong. And I looked up from the phone. The dim glow of the screen lit up the room in a soft glow. The shadows were black and blurred, but as my eyes adjusted to the dark, they came into view. There was something on Addison's bed. Something long, stretching up to the ceiling. I, squint I squinted in the darkness. It was Addison, standing on her bed, her head almost touching the ceiling, staring down at me. I yelped and jumped back. Addison, what are you doing up there? I shrieked. You nearly gave me a heart attack. She opened her mouth. It seemed to stretch wider than ever before and a sunken O shape that was blacker than the shadows around her. Damn. I already got the others. I ran out of the room down the hallway. Footsteps pounded behind me. I raced down the stairs. The lights flickered. I swung open the door and then I collapsed, gasping in the cold, crisp air. They found the bodies the next day. Seventeen people total, all of them dead in their rooms because of death, asphyxiation, even though none of them were hanging from ropes or showed any signs of being strangled. Addison herself was found dead in our dorm room, splayed out across her bed, the cross hanging from her neck, upside down. Damn. So, Wow. You know, when I did dorm life, right, and this is before I went to Wilmio, I went to another college for Wilmio, but dorm life was pretty weird. And especially around, like, homecoming time when people start showing off. And this particular thing, uh, God, was she part of a doomsday cult or something like that, you know? Like, like was she part of a, a sorority group that specializes in this, you know, because they used to do wild stuff. See, nowadays... You don't get to do any of those crazy things that you see off of, like, school days or Animal House. Like, because they actually put a stop to a lot of that stuff because they said, like, people were getting killed, people were getting hurt. But this makes me wonder exactly what kind of crowd she was hanging around with if they're strangling each other and stuff. You, you get my drift? So, yeah. But, you know, in any of these college roommate stories, it's usually somebody that... We, we always see the protagonists and what they go through. They, they never really run with the popular group. But at the same time, the one that's the roommate, however, is the one that usually starts all the stuff. So it's like, mm hmm I figured it would either be her doing the killing or she'd be killed on her way back from a party or something like that. Which is plausible because a lot of that college lifestyle 
does tend to be true. But I don't know if you would kill your college roommate to get straight A's for a whole semester, right? Would you? I don't know. Question for all... You, uh, why am I saying that? This is definitely Monster Fest season because usually I'm pretty tactful about the questions I ask. <laughs> well, you know what, folks? I think we're about hitting that time. Wait, this one... This one could be good for you guys, though. Let's go ahead and give you one more story because these things are pretty good. This one is called Hanging from a Tree. I left her alone for 30 seconds to grab some water. When I came back, she was gone. Casey! Casey, where are you? As if she could reply. She's only 16 months old. She knows like five words. Casey! The panic set in. I, I ran over to the pile of toys in the living room. The stairs she liked to climb. The bookshelf with the good night precious laying on top. She wasn't there. What's wrong? Mark asked, poking his head out of the den. The fathers in these stories are usually like that, aren't they? We, you know, that's the thing about us. We show up after the event. <laughs> but we gonna save the day, though. I, I'd like to think. Who? I can't find Casey. Wasn't she in the family room? Weren't you watching her? I was, but I went to get some water. Now she's gone. A look of panic set into his face. He ran out of the room and followed me across the downstairs, shouting for her. I walked across the foyer. The front door was slightly open. Oh, damn. No, there's no way she could have opened that all by herself. She was barely even tall enough to reach the handle. Mark, over here. I swung the door open. Cars whizzed by it on the road. Puddles collected in the damp grass. No, no, no. Did she go out in the road? The dread settled heavily in my heart. This can't be happening. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Oh, please, no. Mark took off running towards the, d the road. She's not here, he called, peering into the bushes across the side of the road. I whipped around, scanning the front yard. Casey, I screamed, as loud as I could muster. I listened for her soft little babbling, for pattering footsteps through the mud, but only silence reached my ears. Right now, she could be dying, running in the woods, tripling in the brambles, falling face down in a puddle. I glanced around the yard. It became a blur of green grass, white sky, the gravity of the thought that what I chose to do in the next few minutes could decide life or death for my daughter fell upon me. I was paralyzed. And what if someone took her? No, there was no way. We would have heard them come in. Amanda? Mark was calling from the backyard. Amanda! I took off across the grass, my feet slipping in the mud as I rounded the corner of the house. A terrible sight came into view. A tiny pink dot at the far end of the yard, hanging from the gray, twisting branch of a tree. Casey, I screamed. My voice now hoarse. Casey! Mark stood there at the base of the tree, paralyzed, staring up at her. I got to the tree. There, I recognized everything. Her little mouse print pink shirt, her, her brown curls, her light blue stretchy pants pulled over her motionless legs. She hung there in one of the lowest branches as a corpse. Oh, God, no, no. I kicked off my shoes, and I pulled myself up, and I grabbed her by the arm and carefully pulled her through the branches. She was too cold, too light. Casey, I was staring at a doll. A doll made to look like my daughter. Brown curls, blue eyes, and an outfit I often dressed her in. I began to sob, aching, scratched by the branches. I slowly lowered myself into the grass. The doll fell to the ground. Mark let out a strangled cry. We stood there, frozen, trying to process what was going on. Crack! We both looked up. In the shadows of the forest beyond the backyard, something was moving. A deer? I took a few seconds to process the shifting brown shape among the trees. I froze. It was a man wearing hunter's camouflage, running back into the woods. A brown, a heavy brown bag swung over his shoulder. We chased after him, called the police, shouted, and made all the noise we could. 
about a quarter of a mile in the forest. He dropped the bag and continued by foot. When we ripped it open, there was Casey, terrified, red-faced, mouth taped shut. I cannot even begin to describe how I felt when I saw my daughter alive. The police caught him a half an hour later, hiding in the brambles by the old creek. I bought some guns, I added shiny new locks to the front door, and I installed a ton of security cameras overlooking our backyard in the woods. If it ever happens again, we will be ready. Damn! Hey man, it doesn't take much for somebody to try to hijack, like I said, you and yours. You should always have a way of defending yourself, and you should always be going with a little forethought on anything. That stuff is crazy, man. You know, what was he going to do with the kid? You understand what I'm saying? Like, 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 what was that hunt? Definitely a hunter. But not all hunters are like this. God, there's always that one, right? Like, you know, does it ever get you guys thinking, like, this stuff's twisted, man. See, the thing is, it's, it's not just a supernatural monster. It's these real-life monsters we live with. And see, like, whereas, like, when you read about how certain monsters are tragic, don't let it deter you from the fact that some monsters willfully do some evil things. Like, this is pretty much kidnapping, and then he made a decoy to lead the parents astray, like that their daughter is dead, and he had her in a bag, a duffel bag. Damn. I'm sorry. Once again, it's one of those scenarios, like, if it was mine, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail for a very long time because I'm going to kill that bastard. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it is. It's just like, oh, God, I can't stand. can't stand people like that. But at least then I know that's a monster I can easily wipe out. J360 Radio Monster Fest. Speaking of those nightmare tales, we'll go ahead and get started with this one, which is called Stranger Danger. And before any of you all be like, oh, my God, he reading that kind of story. Just listen to the damn thing. Got you for at least like 45 minutes. Jeez. Okay. Stranger Danger. Two Scottish men traveling on business in Texas were celebrating the end of their trip with a night out on the town. When the bar closed, they decided to continue the party, so they flagged down a taxi to take them back to their hotel. But they soon became paranoid, thinking that they were being driven in the wrong direction. So they asked the driver to stop and hit it out into a night on their own, finding themselves completely lost in a quiet residential neighborhood. This was before mobile phones were commonplace, so the businessmen began banging on doors to see if they could use someone's phone to call another taxi. Having no success, they ventured into a back garden to get someone's attention. Back home in Scotland, they were used to leaving their doors unlocked, so this didn't strike them as particularly unsafe. And certainly not after drinking all night. Wow. The homeowner, woken by the noise, came downstairs and saw two men peering in through his back window at 4 a.m. And he didn't think twice about firing a shotgun, killing them outright. I mean, if you really think about it, like, you gotta understand, like, where you are at night, usually. Like, be aware of your surroundings. And, yeah, public transportation isn't exactly safe, but usually those that are riding in taxis and all, they don't usually do this kind of thing. You get my drift? I'm just saying, like, they, they, some probably will lead you astray, but then there are most that aren't going to. So, you know, you take your risk when you jump into the nightlife. But then again, I don't think it really matters anymore these days because yeah, they'll get you in the daylight, too. Um, yeah. Next we have up is called A Shocking Tale. 
a young extreme sports enthusiast who was covered in a variety of piercings, tattoos, and body modifications, was always looking for the next adrenaline rush. One day he was at work on a construction site. He bet his colleagues that he could clip two electrical oh my god, two electrical lines to his piercings and give himself a thrill. They tried to persuade him that it wasn't a good idea, but this only made him more determined. Unaware that by applying electricity directly to his chest, he was at risk of experiencing more than a funny sensation. He attached the electrical lines to each of his pierced nipples and promptly received a fatal shock through the heart from which he could not be revived. Okay, once again, that is self-inflicted right there. You know, sometimes we are really our own worst enemy. You know, whether we think too much or whether we uh, come up with, you know, all these crazy would-be solutions, but they end up becoming more problems, whether to stroke the ego or whether to go ahead and just try to prove some sort of crap to somebody who doesn't care or, you know, all this extra crap that, that we usually do. And you see a lot of it on the Internet in terms of social media. But it's like, yeah, like the two guys in the first story... You're on some, you know, you got to have common sense somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, you don't sneak at a certain area where the guy comes out with a shotgun, you know, puts both barrels in you and you go down and stuff. It's hard to not feel bad for him. He was scared. But this particular guy, to go ahead and get a thrill, decides to shock his chest right on the piercings with, with electricity. Yeah. Yeah, that, re- that really makes a lot of sense. Disgusting. You know what I mean? <sighs> Boy. Anyway, the next one is called Don't Drink the Water. When you are abroad in a strange country in a strange hotel, you expect things to be a little different to life back home. Don't drink the tap water is probably something you'll be commonly told. But you probably wouldn't expect to hear that in Los Angeles. In 2013, tourists at a hotel in L.A. had noticed that something was a little odd. The pressure was weak, and the water in the shower would run black for a while before turning clear. It also had a funny taste and smelled unusual. Nevertheless, they drank it, as they assumed that this is just how water in L.A. was supposed to taste. Mmm. If it's anything like that water in certain areas in Philly, yeah. Eventually, someone complained to staff at the hotel, who sent a worker to check whether the four large water tanks on the roof were in good order. What he found when he opened the lid turned his stomach. It was certainly explained that the issues that they were having inside of one of the cisterns was a partially decomposed human body. The unfortunate maintenance man who had found the remains of a young female student who had gone missing after staying in the hotel for several weeks previous, guests at the establishment had been using corpse water to shower and brush their teeth for weeks, as well as drinking it. Pathologists determined that the student had drowned in the water, so she wasn't killed before ending up in the heavy-lidded tank. But how did she end up there? Investigators were baffled. They had the girl on camera on the night she was last seen by other guests and she appeared agitated. She was picturing the elevator peeking into a corridor as if she didn't want to be seen and then pressing all the buttons. It shouldn't have been possible for her to even get on the roof as it was locked and restricted. As there were no more leads, her death remains a mystery to this day. Mm-mm-mm. Yo, so, <laughs> a little bit of that Unsolved Mysteries kick right there. That's just enough to just be like, you know what? I'm out. I ain't drinking no water except for the water I get over at the gas station. Even then, that's debatable. You know what I'm saying? Little things like that. And uh, speaking of which, people are on this damn thing talking, so I have got to turn that off. Jeez. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I got my phone over here on the side, so just make sure I was on time. But as I am early, you know, I'm making it count. All right, so your next one is called The Tunnels. Now, all the kids knew about the tunnels beneath the city. Most cities have sewer tunnels, but these were different. Some people said that they were built over a 100 years ago as hiding places in case a war ever broke out. Others heard that they used to be part of a secret underground prison. Most of the adults in the city knew they were actually old mine tunnels. Rich people used to build them for stone mines, and the tunnels became so big they wound up connecting with each other, and they ran on for miles. Over time, people stopped using them for mining, and now they were just a giant underground maze. The adults knew the tunnels weren't safe because they were so easy to get lost in, but that wasn't the reason that most of the kids thought the tunnels were dangerous. They heard stories about the tunnels being haunted, or about insane killers who lived in them, or even about monsters that would eat a person alive. One night, some of the kids were telling each other these stories at a party. Most of them took the story seriously, except for one girl, Masha. She even said it would be fun to explore the tunnels. Uh-oh. One, <laughs> one night, you know, she said, I'll go right down there and prove there's nothing to be scared of. Some of you will even be brave enough to join me. We'll stay for only an hour. Now, you know that's already a lie, right? <laughs> you don't want to do that. Uh, the two others agreed to go with Masha. They all headed out to one of the nearby entrances to the tunnels. It was already dark, and they knew the tunnels would be even darker, so they all brought flashlights. When they walked down into the tunnels, the first thing they noticed was how confusing they were. Because different people had built them over the years, some sections were very small, and others were very wide. Sometimes a part of a tunnel would seem to go on for miles, and another one would lead to a dead end right away. The two who had gone in with Masha quickly realized that it would be very easy for them to lose their way if they kept going deeper into the tunnels to explore them. There wasn't much to see anyway. There weren't any ghost killers or monsters, just miles and miles of brick walls. Masha, still curious, though, said, Come on, I want to get some good pictures to show everyone. The others wouldn't go further. They already seen enough. Okay, fine, Masha said. We said we stay for an hour. As you two stay here, I'm going to walk around a little more. You'll be sorry! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Masha started walking deeper into the tunnel, and after about a minute, the others couldn't see the glow from flashlight any longer. A half hour passed, and then another. Masha should have been back by now. They started calling for her, but they never got an answer. This went on for almost half an hour, when, and that's when they decided to go back to the party and let everyone know what happened. When they told their stories, the other kids decided to, they had to tell their parents about Masha. The adults called the police, who spent the next few weeks looking for Masha in the tunnels. She never showed up. No one ever saw Masha again. And all the kids told stories about it. Some say a killer or a monster must have found Masha. Some even claim if you went down to the tunnels, you could still hear her crying for help some nights. But most people know the truth. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a killer or a monster had found Masha in the tunnels. They would go on for miles. Masha probably just got lost. And then the dark too took too many wrong turns and never found her way out. She's probably still in there. But by now, she would be a skeleton. You know something? That's probably true. Because, like, I think there's a lot of areas in this old mining town in PA. Like, if you go down in it, well, of course, it's cooking. It's Centralia, you know, where it's, like, burning and stuff over there. But yeah, like they used to be like a, a whole area of mines and you could go down in there, which I would not recommend you do. 
But, yeah, you would get lost if you didn't have, like, any sort of way to bring you back to where, you know, the entrance would be. I wouldn't recommend going into some mining areas. Not only that, because cave-ins are apparent, too. So, if Masha is still floating around out there, chances are she's probably dead. If you get my drift. You know what I'm saying? So, it's like little things like that. But, how would you guys handle it, right? If you were ever put in a situation like that, would you go into a cave? Would you go into a haunted area like that? I wouldn't recommend it. Of course, you know, though, with haunted houses, it's a little... No, no, I wouldn't do that either, because you know why? You never know who's sitting up there in the corner with two loaded barrels ready to go ahead and make you fly away at any moment. And I'm not talking about the cool stuff from Peter Pan either. He's going to be gone. Gone, I said. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so here's another one for you. This is called the Soldier's Corpse. This happened during the Civil War. Some wounded soldiers had camped out near a small town to wait for the doctor to arrive. But it took him a long time to reach them. And by the time he did, one of the soldiers had died. The doctor took him to the Undertaker. The Undertaker had a very busy night ahead of him because he didn't have time to preserve the soldier's body right away. He put it in a tub with ice water, and that would keep it preserved until he had time to do his work. The, t the body stayed in the tub like that until morning, and then that's when the Undertaker started the work of preserving it for a burial. He began by sewing the corpse's mouth shut, then he placed a needle and a tube into each arm. One tube would pump the fluid that preserves the corpse's in the body and the other tube would drain the corpse's blood and that's as far into his work as the undertaker guy because suddenly the corpse sat right up when he noticed the tubes in his arm he pulled them out he looked like he was trying to talk but he couldn't with his mouth sewn shut all this lasted for a minute the preserving fluid had already been pumped into the soldier's corpse it was poisonous and soon the soldier settled back down the look on his face seemed to be that of a man who knew he was dying and had accepted it Many odd things started happening at the Undertaker's office soon after. The Undertaker would leave a room, and when he came back, he would see that the furniture had been moved. And even though there was no one else in the shop to move it, sometimes even bodies had moved. And that wasn't all. The Undertaker had to start hiding the fluid and needles he'd used to preserve corpses. No matter where he hid it, the fluid would go missing, and all he would find in its place was bent needles. This was all a little funny to many townsfolk. But they thought some practical joker had been behind what was going on at the Undertaker's office. But it wasn't funny to the Undertaker. He knew it had something to do with the soldier whose corpse had suddenly come to life. And in less than a year, he'd gone insane. Mmm, doesn't take much with that, you know. Doesn't take much with that. <laughs> uh, you know, because think about it. Like, when you work in the deals of death and you are over here getting a body prepared for its, uh, you know, eternal rest, you're going to see some wild stuff because the body tend to still move even after the person is dead in some circumstances. And then you wonder how dead somebody currently is until, you know, it finally has rigor mortis setting in or you see, like, the eyes winking at you and stuff. There's a whole lot of wild stuff when it comes to um, embalming. You get my drift. But, you know, as we talk about that, and speaking of eyes... This next one here is called Glowing Eyes. Something strange had been happening at the mine for weeks. Miners working near the slope where the mine would begin would spot an odd-looking animal from time to time. It was gray, furry, and about five feet tall. 
and eight feet long, and it stood on all fours. What made it truly frightening were its eyes. They were bigger than the eyes of any other animal from those parts, and they glowed as bright as a car's headlights. Whenever the animal showed up, it would simply do the same exact thing. It would simply walk up to the start of a slope, look down into the mine for a few seconds, and then head back to the mountains. Every single time the animal would come to the mine, about 15 minutes or so would pass, and there would be a slate fall, and a few miners would die. And some of the men would try to kill the animal as it walked back to the mountains, but no matter how many times they shot it, they never could seem to do any harm. The animal would simply look at them for a moment, then keep walking. Everyone figured the animal must have had something to do with all the deaths at the mine, and they believed that they could kill it, the deaths would stop. Not really, but okay. So the mine owner hired two of the town's best hunters, Bill and Jack, to go kill the animal. They hid it up to a shack in the woods with powerful rifles and some food. They waited for a long time, but finally they saw the animal head down to the mine. They shot at it, but even with their very strong rifles, they couldn't hurt it. When the animals got to the slope of the mine, it looked down into it for a lot longer than it normally would, and then it left. Bill and Jack started shooting at it again when it passed by their shack and back into the mountain. No matter what, none of their bullets seemed to do any harm. That didn't matter, though. Just a few moments later, Bill and Jack heard a loud roar coming from the mine. They ran to see what it was. The mine had exploded. Twenty-two men had lost their lives, but that was the last time anyone saw the animal. Oh, man. You know, I don't have a snappy comeback at that one. That one was actually pretty sad. You know what I mean? Like, but you see, mining is a very dangerous job anyway. And for a lot of people, that used to be like the, that used to be like the income for the town. Like, you would grow up, go to school, and then you would be working in the mines. And whether, like, certain instances would have happened, like if the mine would cave and all, like, that was just part of the job. If anything, that was like Tuesday. So, you know, coal mining and all that jazz. And some people want to keep that open. But like I said, it's because... It's the uh, economy of the town. And with that scenario happening and with that weird wolf and all that jazz, oh boy. <laughs> you, you can just feel the chill. So, you know, RIP to those miners that died, but that is the last time they saw the animal. So it must have been a very ominous sign for them to get up out of there. Just saying. But, you know, you're never going to stop the death on that sort of scenario. Anyway, I got another story for you guys. It's called Eating for Two. Here we go. My husband placed the steak in front of me. You're eating for two now. Eat up. Thank you. I, I grabbed the knife and cut into the steak. A deep blood red color that made my mouth water. This looks perfect. The first few months were the hardest. I projected vomiting more times than I could count. We had to have the rugs professionally steamed, the couch washed, and no matter what I ate, no matter how hard I tried... It seemed like the nausea boiled up out of me at the most inappropriate times. And honestly, I haven't been feeling like myself. Sometimes I try to speak, but only an untellable syllables come out of my mouth. Stefan said that's perfectly normal and nothing to be worried about. That's getting confused and mixed up is part of it. I'm not sure I believe him. Sometimes I say things and I don't even remember thinking them before they come flying out of my mouth. Other times it's just unintelligible nonsense. And then there were a lot of other side effects I didn't expect, too. Like fainting. A few weeks in, I was walking up to the steps of the church when I suddenly felt a wave of weakness wash over me. My vision glued dim. I'm spotted with patches of black and smack. I fell onto the cold, hard steps. And then everything went black. 
You fainted, Stefan said. When I finally came to... Are you okay? I should have been there to catch you. I'm so sorry. My head throbbed and my knees ached, but I was okay. We were okay. I spent a week taking it easy, watching my favorite soaps on TV, getting served on hand and foot, and then I was good as new. But you know what? I somewhat expected the nausea and the fainting. I mean, I read all the books. They tell you there will be changes, some will be unpleasant, but it'll all be worth it in the end, right? Yet they never warned me about certain changes. All the aches and pains. My neck had been hurting something awful these past few months. My back feels like it's on fire and I'm always aching and hurting in one way or another. And the random allergies and rashes. I always had a host of food allergies. But suddenly I was breaking out in a rash from my favorite necklace. It was crazy. Stefan got me some cream right away, but it still made me sad. And the books never warned me about just how bad my anxiety would get. How all those little voices in my head would amp up. Some days I'd just lay in bed trying to silence them and focus on the positives. But it's hard. Really hard. Stefan's been so supportive, though. I know he was just trying to get me get me help. He's been rubbing my back and rubbing my feet and getting me all kinds of good. I couldn't ask for a better husband. He knows that it's hard work. He's been throwing away my cross necklace and listening to the growing voice in my head have been so hard. He knows it's hard being possessed by a demon. But in the end, it'll all be worth it. <laughs> Wild, huh? Shoot. I mean, after all, she is eating for two. So, you know, you have to consider all that wild stuff going on right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you gotta think about it sometimes. It's like... Uh, I don't know where you go from there, you know? It's like... She is possessed by a demon, and she is going through volatile uh, transactions and all. I wonder if it's a Rosemary's Baby scenario, or if it's like that crazy stuff from Julie Christie's The Demon Seed. Pray for her. Which, by the way, that movie should have made an appearance on the Monster Fest by now. It should have, but you know, the thing recently did, so maybe that'll probably be a hallmark for next year's fest. Because uh, that was the one with that supercomputer that wanted to be born. Didn't want to be made, was aware of everything, was really, really hyper-intelligent, but it wanted to be born through a woman. It was wild, it was trippy, and if you ever get a chance to see it sometime, I highly recommend it. You don't even have to wait till next year's fest for that. I highly recommend you guys watching that one. Tell you, tell you the truth right now. Hmm, what else is in the itinerary tonight? Oh boy. Should we or shouldn't we on this one? I'm just I'm just I'm just thinking now. I'm just thinking. Should we or shouldn't we? Yeah, why not? You guys are grown. You're good for it. Alright, this one's called the prank. Trick or treat, you knows. It still goes on. You know, like I said, the pranks are forever, man. Real talk. Anyway, here we go. During the first few, first few weeks of college, the frat the frat guys would play pranks on the new students who wanted to become members. You know, their pledges. This has been going on for years. They needed to put their new members to the test to make sure they were serious about wanting to join. You know, cult tactics. Of course, this wasn't the only reason for pranks. The older members of the frat who had a lot of fun laughing at their own tricks and stuff would love to scare the younger students. This is why they were so unhappy with one student who wanted to become a murder frat. His name was Jeremy, and nothing they seemed to do to him would bother him very much. 
Tricks that would terrify others didn't seem to scare Jeremy at all. So one day, a few members of the frat decided that they would play their scariest prank yet on Jeremy. They decided to show up at his dorm saying they wanted to take him out to the country for a ride. They said that there was something that he needed to do out there if he wanted to join the frat. Jeremy agreed, but he already seemed a little more frightened than he usually would be since he didn't say much for the entire ride. After about a half hour of driving, they reached an old abandoned house and it was very dark out now. We're going down to the basement, the driver of the car said. We have to show you something down there, Jeremy. They all went down to the basement, two of them holding Jeremy by the arms to make sure he wouldn't run away. The driver carried a bag with him. Jeremy wasn't so sure what could possibly be in it. And when they got down to the basement, they needed flashlights to see. And it looked like all that was down there was a small bed. Get on the bed, Jeremy, the driver said. You have to do this if you want to be part of the frat. Now, isn't it something how they get you to do all this crazy stuff so you can be part of an elite club? It's so weird. At first, Jeremy didn't move, but he figured that this was just a prank and he'd be fine. But when he got on the bed, the boy suddenly held him down. They tied his arms and legs to the bed so tight that he could barely move. Then they put a gag in his mouth and a blindfold over his eyes. Don't worry, Jeremy, the driver said. All we're going to do is cut your arm a little so we can get a few drops of blood. We need to know if you have what it takes to be a member of our frat. Once again, that seems like a bit much for people to be in the be in the boys' club, but then again, I don't know. I always wonder about those um, free in them Freemason. You know what I'm saying? What exactly is so secretive? But keep going. Uh, Jeremy tried to struggle, but he was tied up so tight that he couldn't do anything. In the meantime, the driver took out a knife. He never actually planned on cutting Jeremy, but instead of using the sharp side of the blade, he ran the flat, dull side of it along his arms, while one of the other boys poured a little bit of cold water over the spot where the driver had run the knife along Jeremy's arm to make him think that he was actually cut. They knew Jeremy was so scared that he wouldn't realize the water wasn't actually his blood. They all tried very hard not to laugh while they played their trick. They also had set up a pan beneath Jeremy's arm so that he could hear the water dripping down. They tied the water bottle to a rope, hanging it perfectly from the ceiling, tilting it just so perfectly that it would slowly drip onto the pan. That way, Jeremy would hear the dripping and think that he was still bleeding. We're going out for a little bit, the driver said. We should be back in a few hours. Don't bleed too much, Jeremy. We hope none of the rats down here get you while we're out. The older members of the frat went driving around for a while, joking about how badly they had finally scared Jeremy. They couldn't wait to see the look on his face when they got back. But when they finally did get back to the basement, that all changed. Jeremy was so still that it looked like he had fallen asleep. When they took the blindfold and mouth gag off, they could see that his face was frozen in a look of complete fear. They tried to get Jeremy to snap out of it, but he wouldn't respond. The frat members got kicked out of school after that. The doctor had told them Jeremy died of fright. Well, well, um, you know, when it comes to club games, right, like... Uh, nah, that was a bit much. You know, actually, they did stop hazing like that at uh, University of Delaware one time because kids kept getting hurt. Like, they used to have, like, people uh, strapped up to, like, strapped up to light poles and stuff, and they would, like, pour water on them to see, like, how, how much of the water they could actually stand and stuff. And they used to, and shave the person's head or, like, put initials in them using, um, using like, certain like certain bobby pins or whatever not bobby pins but like um office pins and all that jazz like they would go ahead and try to you know take a safety pin and try to mark like the initials of the frat in them and stuff it's 
People used to go really, really crazy when it came to, like, initiations and stuff like that. That's just like, damn. I mean, you know, originally people wanted to join up because they wanted to be part of a brotherhood or they wanted to be part of, like, you, you know, a, a social group. But, like, nowadays people, when they... Nowadays you can't do this anymore because it's considered harassment. But, like, when I was going to... Let's see, when I was going to DSU at the time, like, you know, you can see them out there doing their little parties and all their little associations and stuff like that. But I think nowadays it's not as rigorous as it would be, like, it's not as rigorous nowadays because certain people can't handle that. And truth be told, like, you wouldn't want to go through this kind of situation in the first place. So it's true to form. And I'm sure, like, there's a lot more nightmare stories on, like, in terms of college and all that jazz, but... When it comes to pranks like that, don't do that kind of crap, you know? (laughs) All right. Anyway, next we have, and this will be your final one tonight. This one is called Chop. So here we go. Sometimes brothers are like each other in many ways, but that wasn't the case with the Harrison brothers. One of them was a nice young man who was kind to everyone. The other one was a brute. When Mr. Harrison died, he left his boys the farm. The nicer Harrison brother wanted to sell his half. This made his brother so angry, he killed him with an axe. The farm had been in the family for years, and he wouldn't believe his brother would want to sell any of it. He decided to hide the body under the floor in one of the farm rooms, and later that year, he also married the girl his brother had been planning on marrying. That's when strange things begin to happen at the farm. Anytime the mean Harrison brother was near his wife, they both would hear a chopping sound. It would only go away when he was no longer close to her. This scared the young woman terribly. She only lived in the farm one week when she told her husband she couldn't stand being so frightened anymore and needed to leave. She asked him to come with her, but he wouldn't leave his farm. He tried to kill her instead. But she was luckily... Let's see. She was luckier than the murder Harrison brother. She managed to run away and get to a neighbor's farm. When she told a neighbor about what happened, they went to the Harrison farm to stop her husband from escaping before the police arrived. However, when they got there... They found the evil Harrison brother already dead. He'd hang himself. But before doing so, it looked like he pried up the before doing so, it looked like he pried up the floorboards. And inside the floorboards was the body of the nicer Harrison boy, and next to him was an axe. So what does that tell you? <laughs> oh man. Kinda chilly, right? Phew, you might want to go ahead and put a log on the fire and stay warm and all that jazz. Because, like I said before, these are folklore tales, ladies and gentlemen. It's not like it actually happened to you. And, you know, you should be um, very, very happy that, you know, you treat people with respect. After all, like, we are well-doing people, right? We don't have skeletons in the closet that could actually come back to haunt us. Right? Don't believe him. Yeah, I don't think you should. (laughs) Not at that case, anyway. (laughs) Well, hey, that about wraps up what we have going on here tonight. Look at you all made it to the end. I am so proud of you. And keep in mind this, we have a pretty full roster this week happening. But, you know, I'll go ahead and let you guys know that during Mini Bite Time, which is tomorrow. So come back around tomorrow at 10 and we'll go ahead and we'll finish off the Monster Fest and go ahead and get the final ratings and riffs in. But until then, though, this is J-Man officially signing off. Peace. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a click away. Order online and pick up at your local store. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.